Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Caged. In brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Patsilavis. I'm back once again with another Cageuary special. This time I'm joined by Daryl Edge of the Cage Rage podcast, where we have a little deep dive into the 2021 of Nicolas Cage's career and have a little look forward to 2022 and the kind of the ongoing future of where Cage's career is going, I personally think, and uh, it's, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not ruining anything. But we're living in exciting times. It's uh, the year of Cage, maybe upon us. Uh, yeah, we look at the ramifications of what happened with Pig. Is that a good thing? Is uh, uh, are we yet to see that? Are we going to see like Cage? I don't know. Be thrusted more into the to the limelight. We talk about the Hollywood Reporter round table. We kind of look at the projects we liked last year and the projects we're looking forward to most coming up. And then after all of that, this one's a long one, so I'm going to be as quick as I can in this intro. Um, we look at the 1993 film Deadfall, oh, which is a real doozy. We went from one of Cage's best last week with Red Rock West to, uh, well, Rotten Tomatoes would have you believe his worst with a zero percent rating and this is a real family affair as well as well as having Nicolas Cage in it it also is directed by his brother Christopher Coppola has his brother Mark in there as well as his uh auntie Talia Shire so yeah this is a real family affair and this episode was a lot of fun to uh to to, to record and I, I I very much hope you enjoy it so with all of that out of the way all that's left to do is to get raging with Cage. Oh, fucking summer long, sugar. Con is on once again as we take another look at the Christopher Coppola directed crime thriller Deadfall, released in 1993 and written by Chris Coppola and future Oscar winner Nick Vellalonga, starring Michael Bean Bine, I think it is Bean, uh, Sarah Trigger, Oscar winner James Coburn, Charlie Sheen, 
Peter Fonda, Talia Shire, the tall man himself, Angus Scrim, and our boy, Nicolas Cage. Joining me for this film to see if it is a cake worth hustling for or if we are the ones being conned is fellow Cage scholar, my northern counterpart, friend of the podcast, Cage Rage's very own, Daryl Edge. Daryl, have you been shaped by the con or do you shape the con? Life is a con, god damn it. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, I think I just had to quickly touch on that. I have no idea how to say Michael Beanbine's name either. I have no clue how you pronounce his name. I was like, literally, I watched the film like last night at the point of recording, and I was I was looking up like Michael Beanbine, Bitten Binder, Baked Bean, <laughs> trying to find anything of like just someone introducing him. And it's all cut off before the intros. There's no, there's no proof of how to say his name, and it's tearing me apart. Well, I think in preparation, I listened to somebody talking about Terminator, and like a lot of people have said Michael Bean, and like so, I'm, I'm I think it is Bean, and I I listened back much to my chagrin at my my old episode, and I have the same like thing back then of going like Michael Bean. Like, and there's probably people who are like big, like cineasts going like, you don't know what you're fucking talking about. You can't, you don't even know, like, you don't even know Kyle Reese's real name, you charlatan. <laughs> I had exactly the same thing when I came to cover in this film. There was, I think there's literally a minute of me just trying to sound it out and nothing sounded right. Nothing yeah. sounded right. Behind? Like, that man was in the Terminator. <laughs> yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like B-I-E-I. Um, it was like maybe just this quiet sound of trying to keep it down where you step on a Lego at two in the morning I don't know I don't I'm like literally for like a year and a half this has tormented me (laughs) well I feel like like when we fight if someone says like oh you know I think in the same way it's going to be some kind of revelation when we all found out that it was actually Nick as in N-I-C-K cage and not the N-I-C like mm-hmm. the absolute posers we've been in 2021. Yeah. <laughs> I, Just... th- on that matter, I actually got contacted uh, via email by a writer, uh, Zach um, Schoenenfeld, I believe his name is. Uh, I will correct it in the intro or the outro if I've got that wrong. Uh, but he's writing a book about Nicolas Cage and wanted to ask me about the validity of like that statement I'd made on Twitter. Like he said, are you, are you, are you correct in that? Like, like, and I had to like screenshot the email from Nick Cage's manager and kind of prove it to him. So I'm hoping like, I don't know, like. Sounds like someone's got some edits to do. And it sounds like I may get, <laughs> uh, yeah, or or I'll get like, hopefully I'll get like a, a mention in the book or like a, a fact, like it feels like, I don't know, I feel like uh, Robert Graysmith, like really, unso- like digging deep into the the Zodiac Killer. Like I've really uncovered something, <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, I, I, was, <laughs> I was disheartened at the time because I feel like, uh, like uh, film magazines and stuff like that and like websites report on a lot less. Do you know what I mean? Like in regards to, yeah. and that feels like a big, like revelatory, at least some clickbaity uh, article somewhere. Do you know what I mean? I'm trying to think of who would do it. Maybe uh, who's a website? I, 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 Collider. Like, 
collider of like even like Screen Rant or something. Yeah, like ten thousand clicks, easy first minute. Yeah, big all, books. All it would be is just a, a short blurb and a script, like an embed of of my tweet. Do you know what I mean? Saying like it is, it is actually Nick Cage, and like with a K. But, but alas, <laughs> if, alas, if I'm, this is your. If that's your legacy on the film world, though, that you might get a writer's credit in a book about Nick Cage. What a legacy. Shaping the game, shaking up the status quo. Definitely. Incredible. Yeah, imagine that is like, that book is like, it's, the, the, the character count has gone up considerably because a load of Ks have had to have been added in, all because of this guy right here. Like, yes, please, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take that as my... Uh, as my legacy any day of the week um so but yeah before like, i feel like i need to check in with you daryl because the last time we talked was after our kind of uh a, a real real bonding event of attending the uh prince charles cinema nicholas cage all night which would have been would that have been like september time so yeah have you have you recovered september. how are you how are you feeling now um yeah, I think just about recovered. Just about recovered. Um, not as worse for wear. I mean, I've had COVID since, but that's all that's all settled and done. And then got through the uh, the joys of Christmas at retail. So the uh, the last half of the year hasn't been without its stresses to see in my thirtieth year. So I started strong with it with a cage marathon. Got COVID, and then hopefully twenty twenty two is sort of on the uptake. So. <laughs> Uh, I think at the point of recording, what, what, six days in, five, six days into 2022. And so far, it's been all right. So far, it's been all right. But we said that about 2021. We said that about 2020. So feel free to edit this out in like two years when we've all fucking died yeah. from, <laughs> from super Omicron um, or something. There's a topical bit of uh, info if you're listening to this in like two, five years from now. But... Oh, like... I feel like I feel like COVID, like as much as we're like, is the end is in sight. Again, we thought that in uh, like March 2020, and it's like uh, I don't think it's going to be a speck on the horizon anytime soon. No, it very much is a speck on the horizon. It's not going to be like a speck in our past anytime soon. I don't think, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I think, and obviously, you know, my God, we're going to get into this film. And I suppose touching on the marathon as well, I think in a way this is kind of why when you approach me about this, going back to these earlier Cage films, it's kind of why I wanted to talk about Deadfall because when we were all, we talked about it on that last podcast episode, we, we uh, did cover in the event, but when we were talking about the mystery film and I think part of us both wanted to be Wicker Man or Deadfall, I think since then there's been almost this um, unfinished business with Deadfall for me. Like I wanted to... This is over the second or third time I was telling you the other day, the second or third time I've seen it. One of them might have been a terrible dream. <laughs> uh, but but this is I think this is a film. This today is the day that we can finally stake this vampire. If this film was a disease, it would be COVID. Um but I think well then maybe it wouldn't because everyone would have seen it and had it by now. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just like a stubbed toe. I don't know. Um, I, it kind of is. It like structurally, it's like COVID because like you think you think it's getting like really bad and like do you know what I mean like 
it's ramping up, it's ramping up, and like you think you're coming to the end of it, and then it carries on for like uh, half half hour longer. So I guess, <laughs> I guess in 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 that way, it kind of yeah, it replicates the kind of uh, the journey of COVID perfectly. <laughs> Apt. <laughs> um, Apt. So before we get into talking about uh, Deadfall, I kind of as somebody who yeah is a a cage scholar, I wanted to look back as we're at the beginning of a new year at the last year Nicholas Cage's output kind of I don't know just have a little a little chat about how you thought his 2021 was and what films from 2021 of Cage's did you see um I think that on the whole it's been a good year 2021 I think was a good year for Cage mm-hmm. um because I you know I I've said this before um you know we kicked off with like Willy's Wonderland start of the year um and i enjoyed willie's wonderland i know a lot of detractors Mm -hmm. uh you know weren't into it and you know it's not a perfect film but it's it's nicholas cage and i suppose this is the thing it's nicholas cage still doing different things as he's well i suppose that we're recording this on the eve of cage must itself it's cage must eve (laughs) when we're recording this so he's by the time this goes out, he'll be 58 years old. Um, happy birthday to the Golden Hog of Hollywood. Um, but he's kicking it off with just a, a really weird film. And they've got a lot of people talking. A lot of people are excited for it. And I'm not saying that me and you had a, a decent part in the Twitter social media following for that, getting that film boosted. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were retweeting and tweeting like nobody's business. Um, I will admit to my... Shame. I still haven't seen Prisoners of the Ghostland. I think at this point, I'm just going to save off on that until I get to recording the episode on it. Um, but I think maybe like 90% of other people in the, f- you know, look at this term, however way you will roll your eyes if you want, but the film, Twitter, film, internet sphere, um, loved Pig. Um, <laughs> didn't get a bloody screener for it, like some people, Petros. Um <laughs> <laughs> had to travel to another city to support a local cinema. <laughs> um, but I adored Pig, absolutely loved it. Um, I don't consider myself to be the most emotive or emotional of people, but that's one that almost got some tears rolling in the cinema, I'm not afraid to say. Um, so we record this now, after we don't know if the award's going to get pushed back because of Omicron and all that at this point, but... Um, I hope it does get some, again, I quote here, big award recognition. Um, it's looking like it might just be snuffed. It's doing well critically and on the independent award circuit, which is good. It's yeah, still yeah. something, but um, there's part of me that's thinking, oh, I don't know if he's, I don't know if we're going to see Cage on that ballot. Um, but- yeah, I, I don't know if it like if it is an awardsy. F- like I'm in two minds. It kind of does feel awardsy because it's like a later stage of an actor's career, and they're kind of doing something that is like different from what they've been doing. For it's like a return to form film, so you've got that that mm. aspect to it. But it's I don't think it's as showy as like the stuff that the the, the Oscars or than anything go for a lot of the time. Like you, do you know what I mean? You, you, it's normally I don't know. We're we're probably more likely to see. Jared Leto, like nominated for best supporting in House of Gucci because he's lathered up in prosthetics and he's doing a voice, whereas like Cage is almost doing 
a level of like anti acting. Do you know what I mean? He's quiet and he's kind of uh he's he's lived in. He's not going like, Hey, Academy, look at me. He's kind of like he's if if, if he is, he's going, Academy. Look, look at yourselves. What have you done with your lives? Give me an Oscar. I need that second <laughs> Oscar. I mean, you know, still not over the Joe snub from like nearly ten years ago now. I think we'll get like Morbius will be out. Speaking of Jared Leto, before Cage gets a nomination at those fucking awards, um, <laughs> like, it's it's like because it's got a lot of people talking. It's the and I, I always hate using the term. It's the it's your annual reminder that Cage is fucking brilliant film, um, and that he's still and that he's still there. And then I think you know as we get into the, the season and we've just had the Hollywood Reporter roundtable that he's in as well. You know. People are talking about Cage again for like good reasons, and yep. that's you know. I, I think for, for for dare I say stalwarts like us, um, it, it, this is like a good thing. This is like good. People are talking about Cage. There's traction. It's not like for meme reasons. There's a seriousness to the conversation, which yeah. I think we've been gagging for I, I, for a while. I think even if there is that Oscar snub, like I'm hoping, like the independent spirit awards or something like that will recognize him at least like with a nomination and we might get yeah we might get that whether those awards go on but like i always remember that amazing um adam sandler speech he did like when he won the independent spirit award for uncut gems and kind of did it all in like a bobby boucher voice and stuff like that and uh i don't know like i'm yeah i think cage will be recognized but if anything like pig got him to that round table discussion which was fantastic like it's 53 minutes that just flew by and it was great to see cage as like the elder statesman around that table do you know what i mean kind of like just age-wise and but just having those years in the game and you could see especially there's tiny moments between andrew garfield and him where you see like this admiration for not just cage as an actor but Cage is a human being and like uh yeah, mm. just kind of him imparting some of these weird nuggets and seeing that that um connection with Jonathan Majors as well when Cage says like one of the things you need to embrace to be an actor is dreams and Jonathan Majors is like, Yeah, that's like that's a that's a real decent but you've got to like you've got to almost tap into the the ethereal to be a decent actor. And I think like having I don't know having cage like amongst those people was kind of like bizarre but like amazing do you <laughs> know what I mean like if you if you had said five years ago well not even like maybe like two years ago even if you had said like oh there's going to be a hollywood report around table it's going to be jonathan major peter dinklage nicholas cage andrew garfield and simon rex i would have gone you're fucking joking do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you're absolutely like yanking my chain here. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's, but it's like I said, it's encouraging but bizarre to see. And I watched it this morning, and like you said, it's just under an hour. It flies by, and it's a fascinating discussion. And Cage being the elder statesman, and I think it reinforces a lot of the positives that I like to, you know, to tell people about Cage as well. Because obviously, we get the eccentricities of Cage in there. Um, 
of Andrew Garfield just being hysterical about his story about Rain Man the horse. Mm-hmm. Just two Spider-Man having a, Spider-Man having a good time, chatting it up, loving life. Um, but then we also got, I think they opened with that question towards the start. It's like, oh, if you were um, taking like an leading an acting school class, like how would you do it? And he's like, oh, I think it's all about collaboration. Um, and he, as he says, like, I think I'm a student of the game. And it again, it reinforces the thing as like, He's got over 40 plus years in the game, but he doesn't see himself as the finished article. He's still mm-hmm. learning. He still wants to learn. Um, and it, what what makes him so fascinating that I think there was that interview recently, which um, I think, you know, people in the know about Cage, it's not a surprise, but there was that sort of clickbaity article with like, um, oh, Nicholas Cage refers to himself as a thespian, says pretentious mm-hmm. actor. Obviously, they're taking his quotes like and jumbled them to make it a bit clickbaity. But he's someone who said before that he, you know, he doesn't really like the term acting because it conveys lies. Um, so he's like, I guess the next best thing is thespian. Um, I was like, you know what? At this point, you've earned the title thespian. I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll add that to the roll call. And there's a point that he makes in that Hollywood Reporter roundtable where he talks about like not being afraid to kind of pick and choose from these different methods of acting as well, and sometimes like. Yeah, you can live it, you can you, you can do that, but it doesn't have to be, you don't just have to be a method guy, do you know what I mean? You don't have to just, I am this character, I'm going to live in a shack for a year, I'm going to learn how to cobble shoes, or, do you know what I mean? You don't have to always go full Daniel Day-Lewis. It's, I don't know, like, yeah, if you look at that New Yorker report on Jeremy Strong, uh, it's like that thing of like, He's possibly drunk the Daniel Day Lewis Kool Aid a bit too much in in regards. Fantastic actor, but like, is very serious and po faced about it. Whereas Cage knows that, like, in essence, like there is still that element that you are children playing with, playing dress up, in a sense. Do you know what I mean? And you can like, if 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 a film warrants it, you can go cuckoo bananas, and you can kind of like use. Uh, that nouveau shamanic way of acting or like total acting you can act you can you can almost it can be kabuki theater in the way you act you can don't be afraid to like emphasize and be big and brash it doesn't all have to be robert de niro kind of in his heyday very like stern and filing your teeth down like you didn't cape fear and stuff like that it doesn't have to be that i think that's like i'm glad to see that like people on a on a massive scale kind of got to see that because i imagine that hollywood report around table would have been seen by millions millions of people already and kind of more as it kind of get clipped as it gets clipped up and i don't know i'm also fearful that it's just going to be remembered for cage talking about being thrown off of a horse but that is that is a beautiful <laughs> thing that is a beautiful thing about it like i'm glad that 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 got talked about it's it was such like you know, I guess like almost classic Cage, like there's the sort of eccentricity. He was like, I've got PTSD from this horse. And Andrew Garfield's like, please don't ever stop talking about this horse. Oh my God. Um, and then I just love how Jonathan Majors is just trying to be really nice. He's like, oh, maybe the horse was like a little bit older or something. Just trying to like downplay the fact that the horse was fine for him. But Cage was like, I wrapped up Butcher's Crossing three weeks ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, so you know that that's obviously the part that's going to get clipped as well, but um, just 
just just a, a really fun interview and i kind of liked as well that they're all just being like just good like just really supportive of each other because peter dinklage was talking about is it cicero that the, the movie is in um serrano serrano i was close i was close um and peter dinklage was talking saying like oh there's, there's some singing in it i'm not a very good singer everyone's like oh no no you're fantastic you're fantastic and everyone's being so supportive and what I liked on the Cage point as well is that when they wrapped up the interview, at, at the very, very end, Cage was like, thank you for moderating this wonderful discussion. I was like, God bless you. What yeah. manners. And yeah. our boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it, that, that kind of feels like a perfect pivot point to kind of, obviously this has come fresh at the beginning of the year and Cage talks about a project that I guess will see the light of day this year, I would, I would imagine. I'm not sure how long the post-production will take on Butcher's Crossing, but um, what, like, is, is there stuff that you're looking forward to in 2022 on, on Cage's docket? What's, what's the kind of stuff you're most excited for, Daryl? I mean, obvious answer out of the way first. Elephant or golden hog in the room, if you will. Um, unbearable weight of massive talent. Mm -hmm. um, I think, obviously, um, you know, I think we discussed this very briefly uh, a, a few weeks ago, but I saw saw the trailer for it, and as I, I get a film like this is probably targeted for people like us as well. But I laughed at the trailer; I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. uh, I got Pedro Pascal in there as well, and he's got a big thirsty fan base. So I'm going to drag those people in there. <laughs> so I mean, it seems like it's going to get a big cinema release. I'm hoping it does. Um, obviously, we'll see how things play out, but. It's all, I'm almost nervous in a way for it to get the big cinematic release because there's, there's more eyes on it. There's more, um, therefore, reception from critics and um, the just, you know, Tom, Dick and Harry's and folk alike. So you just think like, are they, like it's like watching a child go on stage as like, yeah. are they going to do, <laughs> do well? Like, are they going to get it? Am I going to have to keep like searching unbearable weight how hashtag massive talent and tweeting at people like hey yo you don't get it you don't get it this isn't for you yeah yeah um, you, you don't know the deep cuts you don't you don't know <laughs> what that's referencing when he when he shouts fuck you don't you you've not seen deadfall man you weren't there it's like kind of when you become precious of like a band like I was I was there when I was there when they were playing shitty venues, man. I was I was there with ten other people. Like, uh, yeah, you're seeing them at Alexandra Palace, or you're seeing them at like the the Leeds Academy. Fuck you, man. I was there. I was there in the, the pubs. This is it. I've, like, I know, and this is going to be the bridge that we have to cross at the time. But I can see us both turning into you know the, the memed Aslan the lion. Was like, I was there when the magic was written. <laughs> like, yes, it's like you don't get it. Um, but I, I want to tell myself, like, no, it's not going to be that bad. But I know for a fact that if nothing more than just to gain traction on social media because numbers and I'm a loser, I'll start pissing people off just for a joke. I, I um, think what's exciting about that film is it's one that, like, like we saw with Pig, like, I, I very much took took it upon myself to to tweet out every single place in the UK you could watch it in the cinema. And it feels like Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent isn't going to be me kind of chasing up every like uh, major cinema chain being like, hey, do you have any intention to to screen this? Because it feels like it's going to, the rollout for it. Do you, I mean, the fact that um, just for the trailer announcement, Lionsgate sent out 
Christmas sweaters to journalists and film in, uh, influencers and stuff like that. And like, uh, it feels like it's going to get a big push and a, a big release and Cage is going to be out there in full force on the press tour and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, I mean, fair play to the journos, but fuck off. Where's my, <laughs> where's my fucking jumper? I've, I've put in the hours. Um, I'm, I'm not bitter. I, you know, I've got PTSD. I've got, this is my Rain Man PTSD. So, see, I um, like, I'm keeping quiet on that because I surreptitiously, I don't know if surreptitiously is the, the right word, but just by a twist of fate, one of my, followers uh tom butler big big up yourself tom uh uh contacted me and said hey i got one of those cage jumpers and my girlfriend did a massive eye roll when i took it out of the box it's a <laughs> it's a size medium would you like it and it was this was just before christmas and um i was like yes please it sent me like the the christmas like cage christmas card and stuff like that and the jumper and it was it was a it was a it was a it was a lovely little gift but yeah i think um uh lionsgate didn't contact me at all because uh i have a thousand twitter followers i don't have i don't have a blue tick so i'm not gonna and i guess i guess people like me and you are we're singing to the converted right we're not kind of gonna get more eyes on the film we're not we're not we're not a big name who's gonna go hey you like this other stuff check out this nicholas cage film yeah i ambitiously try to slip into lionsgate dms but as you can imagine tumbleweed <laughs> um i might keep trying just tweeting them once a day and see if, if some poor fucking intern just relents and sends me some fucking scraps um but we will see um so let's let's look at um just quickly before we get into deadfall a couple of other projects that we definitely know are coming out in 2022 uh, as i'm looking here butcher's crossing doesn't have uh, a year next to it so that could potentially be depending on what kind of film it is they might it might get like a a very late 2022 if it is like another oscar if it is an awardsy movie, it might be held off to like a a November December release when all those films start to come out. But we have the retirement plan and the old way. Do you know anything about either of these two, Daryl? Well, well, like Butcher's Crossing and the Old Way, we're getting some westerns from Cage, mm -hmm. which is um, again, you know, as we were saying earlier, Cage doing different things. Forty plus years into his career, fifty eight years old. Um, and now he's doing some westerns. He's still doing new things. Still pushing out there with the genres. Um, so I am excited for Butcher's Cross in the old way. Um, the retirement plan. This is the thing about the retirement plan. Something in my gut tells me, and now I, I'm happy to be proven wrong. I'm happy to see a train. I think you know what well, this. This could be something. But something in my gut right now, as we recall this on this day tells me it's going to be fart it's going to be garbage i've just not got there's <laughs> something about it that i don't have a good feeling about because i think that's what we've heard the least about mm -hmm. um so I'm, I'm i'm dare i say to try and turn it to a sort of positive cautiously optimistic about the retirement plan um but we will see you've got to have faith got to have faith in the goat um I... obviously i'm not 
I, li- I like the idea that the retirement plan is Cage plays like a retired cop or like, yeah, like it, it, oh, it doesn't even say cop here. It just says um, the, the synopsis for the film is uh, Ashley and young daughter Sarah get caught up in a criminal enterprise that puts their lives at risk. She turns to the only person who can help her estranged father, Matt Nicholas Cage, currently living <laughs> the life of a retired beach bum in the Cayman Islands. Their reunion is fleeting as they are soon to track down uh, they're soon tracked down on the island by the crime boss, uh Donnie, Jackie Earl Haley. So who's that? That's uh that's Rorschach himself or Freddy Krueger from the, the dismal remake of Nightmare on Elm Street and his lieutenant Bobo, Ron Pellman. So if anything, this is a this is a reunion of Nick Cage and Ron Pellman after season of Witch. So we can we can have that uh, at least. We'll, well, we'll take any tenuous link we can get at this point, won't we? Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, this one I I doubt we'll get it till next year. But there's the recently announced uh, Reinfeld as well, Nicholas Cage playing actual Dracula. Yes. Um, and he says he's taking inspiration from Malignant as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am, I am excited for that um, with Nicholas Holt as well. We teaming them up since uh, the Weatherman. So yes, I am very, I am excited for Reinfeld. I, I will put yes. it out there. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that yeah. feels, that feels like we're going to get a, a widespread cinema release for that on name value alone. So yeah, I reckon, I reckon that will. I like, I guess. Again, I always like to think it's a it's a phrase of Nick from uh, Empire is every 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 film it's Christmas Eve, right? Every Nicolas Cage film is Christmas. You're excited either way. Do you know what I mean? Like is like he's gonna do something. Sure. Like, just seeing the pictures of him of on the retirement plan or seeing him, uh, I think it might be the old way or the Butcher's Crossing where he's got like the bald head. I'm like I'm in, I'm in. Whatever he's doing, like whatever he's doing, like. I'm into it, and like, which makes me think: When did he shave his head? Because that round table, he's got a lot of hair. He got a lot, a lot of hair. Yeah, that's there's some timings are off there. There's some, there's some, you know, on my uh, my cork board of like Polaroids and newspaper clippings, some of the red string doesn't quite add up on the hair <laughs> timeline <laughs> of Nicolas Cage. So I've got. If, you know, throw me his manager's email address. I'll fire some questions off. I've got no shame. Perfect. In, in, never back down. Double down. Well, do you, do you think that like this move to the westerns and like these? I don't know. They seem. I I, I don't know because I know Butcher's Crossing is a first time director, and the old way maybe a director I've not heard of before. Again, might be another first time director. Yeah, Brett uh, Donahue. Um, I don't. It, it's hard to see if this is like uh, a ramification of the success of Pig, right? Like, uh, 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 mm. are we still to see that ramification of like kind of him being offered? I don't know. Renfield might be that in some regards, right? Because it's kind of it's, it's a sign of his star is on the rise, and it's it's a big studio picture, and it's kind of looks like it's got a lot of money behind it. Well, this is the thing, and it's a good point to raise. Obviously, with the traction that Pig has gained since release and Cage doing these interviews, again, we bring up the Hollywood's Reporter Roundtable. 
Um, it seems to me from the outside looking in that there is some some cage traction. It seems like the studios are interested. Again, obviously, we've got Lionsgate putting out unbearable weight of massive talent. We've got the um, uh, Reinfeld that's coming out. I nearly said Seinfeld. Maybe slap some bass for like the vampire film next year. Um, <laughs> but and, and obviously, we're speculating just out loud here, but it feels like that's going to get a cinematic release. So it seems like we've got this we're in the post pig era if if i may dare coin such a term where cage is getting these offers through he's getting these scripts through again and i know at this point in his life he can be he can afford to be a bit selective and you know go for the the roles and the scripts that sing to him and his life at this point in his, his career um but i mean you know that the the westerns could be good um which is crossing the old way We've got two westerns, two different takes here, and maybe you know, you know, some western films and the western errored films are in the lexicon again. Obviously, um, is it the power of the the dog with yeah, Benedict yeah, yeah. Cumberbatch? That's you know, that's in the award conversations right now. So people are talking about it. People are interested. Even um, even the harder they fall, that Jonathan Majors was there, kind of off of the back of on that round table, like. Yeah, like kind of doing radical new things with with westerns. Uh, I, I'm yet to see that film, but hearing Simon Rex uh, touch upon the fact that it's a, it, it's well for one, the film itself is an all black western, something that like historically we've never really seen, and kind of talking about mm. these these stories of kind of uh, tying in all these myths and legends of 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 black characters in that time period and set to a reggae soundtrack so sounds like something that again is 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 a new idea with a new take on it and uh, yes that that's exciting and i guess i'm yeah i'm as i said every 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 film is christmas eve for me when it comes to nicholas cage and i think i don't know i'm excited and it's it's good to see that like with these two westerns like he's working with two first time directors again and if pig is anything to go by like hey he like he he can he can sniff like a truffle pig he can sniff out <laughs> that that truffle of a script from a and 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 those directors who are worth working with even though they don't have a kind of proven track record of films before so let's hope we're living in the nikonaissance right now and we're going to kind of look back at this time as a at a platinum age of cage mm. maybe it's the, it's the Nick on me, baby, and I'm cashing in. <laughs> yeah, getting that Nick coin, getting that getting that crypto <laughs> Nick coin, baby. Uh, um, amazing. Well, yeah. Uh, hopefully, yeah. If, if listeners have not heard about those, we've kind of I don't know made you hip to some of the stuff that's coming out uh, this year involving Nicolas Cage, and it's I don't know. It's exciting. Right? It's, I don't, it's it feels like yeah. It really feels like we're gonna. I don't know we're on the precipice of some exciting stuff and let's hope that, uh, i think it's early february we find out the oscar nominations so that cage is cage is there baby i'd love to i'd love to see him doled up and kind of be on that stage or at least at that award ceremony and see what where he belongs yeah see that clip reel they use when they when they talk about it <laughs> <laughs> see if it is just nicholas cage loses his shit like academy here you go. Here's 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 what we're presenting to you this evening. Oh God, I hope so. I hope so. I say it feels 
you know, I don't want to jinx it at all. Um, like I say, this it's an exciting time to be a Cage fan. I think it's it's fair to say. I think it's you know the 2010s. That was the decade that it was, uh, for better or for worse. So it's been it's been a long time coming to have this kind of this energy and excitement about all the upcoming Cage projects because you know. Everything looks good. I've got my own skepticisms about the retirement plan for now. I stress <laughs> for now, but everything there's something to talk about with everything, which is we haven't been able to say that for a while. So, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. Amazing. Well, we've we've looked to the future of Nicolas Cage. Let's look back to 1993 and talk about Deadfall. Good night, Hall, gentlemen. It's two million dollars. Yeah, I like the sound of that. Who's telling the truth? I might want you to take me away right now. Let's go. Who can you trust? If it's a high card, I'll tell you who I am. And if it's a low card, I'll tell you who you are. Is that a deal? Joker. Joker. Michael B. Once before, backfired. He's wired! Who can you believe? Flawless. It's nine million dollars worth for the price of it. You have seduced me, Jake. <laughs> Nicholas Cage. Someone's gonna kill me, man! Sarah Trigger. Break a young girl's heart. What do you want? You don't know me. I don't have anyone. James Colbert. Not too good. Ah, perfect. Perfect. That's my friend. Charlie Sheen. Welcome to paradise, Mr. Joe. Anything goes wrong, kill them all. Police! Stop it! Tell me this is a dream I'm gonna wake up from. Who takes the fall? Deadfall. So before we before we get into talking about this film, Daryl, I like to ask my guests to provide a plot synopsis for the film. Do do you mind telling us what Deadfall is all about, please? I honestly wish I knew what this film was about. I've said it like three times now, so it's hmm. Oh god, it's the slasher music. So, there's a con artist called Joe Donan, who's played by Michael Bean Bane, Bing Bong Bang, um, Shamalama Ding Dong. Um, and they start with a sting, but it's a, a double-double cross where it looks like something's gone awry, and he's done a bad and shot um, he's, he's old man. Um, and now... He's been left with the haunting words, find the cake, which sets him on a journey of not self-discovery, but quite possibly illness that leads him to the path of his, uh, his father's twin brother and, of course, Eddie, who we'll get all into and all the madness it ensues on the journey to the maybe delicious or maybe not cake. Um, but 
I, I, you will, you will feel damaged by this film. That's my synopsis. <laughs> that is, uh, I couldn't have, I couldn't have said it better myself, Daryl. This is a, this is a, 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 a very confusing film. Like, I'm not sure. Like, when can you can you remember your first watch of this film? Like, what were your first reactions or when you first watched it? Or you or you said that maybe that first one was a fever dream, somewhat. I still think it might be because I watched it last night. And I watched it last year for my podcast. But the way I discovered this film, um, as I think many may have, was with the seminal work Nick Cage losing his shit on YouTube, um, which 90% of those clips are taken from Vampire's Kiss and Deadfall, uh, because every line Nicolas Cage has in this film is just ridiculously quotable. Um, if it was made in this day and age, I think Eddie's character would, the character of Eddie would prob- probably be played by Will Ferrell because <laughs> it's that kind of ridiculous, outlandish role. Um, so I, th- I feel like it may have been 2008, 2009, me and friends who were Cage adjacent, shall we say, it's in Nicolas Cage losing this shit, and somehow, some way, come into possession of Vampire's Kiss and Deadfall, and somehow, some way, we had a Vampire's Kiss Deadfall double bill. Oh. Um, and this, that was something, it was so, such an event that I <laughs> just buried it to the darkest recesses of my mind for a very long time. Then suddenly it kind of dredged up, and I was like, no, hang on a minute. I've seen this before. <laughs> um, and then all... <laughs> <laughs> like all these years of like these memories of like 10 15 years ago suddenly come flooding back and i was like oh god oh god this isn't deja vu this is happening we're not in the matrix baby we're unplugged we're in the real world right now <laughs> um so I, i'd seen it before and there was a point in my life where i'd watched nicholas cage losing his shit on youtube more times than is healthy for anyone and you can you can YouTube like Nicolas Cage Deadfall and you will get all the compilations you need to tell you everything <laughs> about his character in this film. And there was a point in time where I could quote everything he said in this film word for word with the same inflection. And on that line of thought, um, even today, 2022, the year of our Lord, as a 30-year-old man at a point of recording, this is, this is a film I still quote to myself in real life. Like, if I'm putting a coat up, fucking haggers! Um, you know, there's been, there's been periods before where I've, like, gone to cross the road, and then, it, you know, a car's coming, like, trying to fucking kill me, man! <laughs> and then I've... <laughs> and I've just, apropos of nothing, like, me and friends would just say it to each other, like, what the fuck? Fuck! And, of course, who can forget? Hi, fucking yeah! Yeah. Um, apropos of nothing. This is the kind of film it is. Well, like, this is one, like, I tried to look at the production history of this film, and it seems to be that nobody is really talked about in, 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 in any meaningful way, at least. I know that uh, I spoke to somebody at one point about uh, they had interviewed Christopher Coppola, and they, like, I said, oh, I'd always love to talk to him, stuff like that. Like, he doesn't talk about Deadfall, which like, <laughs> <laughs> like 
makes like almost it feels like we should end the podcast there even the director kind of doesn't want to talk about it and like i guess i don't know like the numbers could tell you a, a lot about this film it cost 10 million to make and made a paltry 18 yeah eighteen thousand three hundred and sixty nine dollars like in total and i think the the u.s gross was 9.2 thousand dollars so that is that that's that's bad right that's a bad that's a bad take it that's a that you, you, if you do your checks and balances that's uh things aren't adding up do you know what i mean you're not you're not recouping a single dime on, on that return this this is the thing i mean i mean i i sort of sneakily put like a letterboxd review for this film up on my letterbox last night where it was my review was simply this this is both a one and five star film and i will not be elaborating on that <laughs> um, because it's obviously some people will take this the wrong way this is a Nicolas Cage movie of, of the highest accord when we talk about I guess the podium finish of the of the cagiest of the cage films I think we're talking Wicker Man I think we're talking Vampire's Kiss and I think we're talking Deadfall it can be interchangeable who gets gold, silver and bronze but they're always up there um, this is a ridiculous movie this is why was it made? Um, how did it get so many names involved with this? You know, mm. Nicholas Cage, Charlie Sheen, Peter Fonda, um, amongst others as well. Uh, James Coburn. Um, this, this is, you know, this is a decent cast here by all accounts, and it's absurd. It's absolute absurd garbage, but in a weird way. Um, and. To, I admit this now. I've 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 purchased this on Amazon Prime for for six seven pounds. I now own this movie because I, I remembered I'd watched it. I rented it last year when I watched it, and when this opportunity came up, I was like, "Well, if I'm going to watch it for the third time, I might as well own it." Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this this is a movie that like you've possibly seen Cajun clips of of him screaming like. Well, this sums up what I know about Nicolas Cage, but you've never heard of the title of the film. You've never seen the movie. This is, you may have some kind of weird subconscious reckoning about this film, but no one's seen it. I think only the most ardent Cage completionists um, have seen this. And it's, I was almost kind of thinking, it's kind of like with the box office figures as well. There's, there's almost, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm reaching here, but like, you could arguably make some comparisons to the room here of like they were probably making this thinking that you know this is something we got something here and then it bombed now obviously the room has gone on to have you know the disaster mm -hmm. artist made about it and it's selling out cinemas all over the world with like re-screenings and greg sestero um and tommy bazoa going around at the screenings as well i'm not saying that deadfall is going to get that kind of reconnaissance and comeback but it should it deserves it um it's absurd well yeah absurd. it's it kind of feels like there's a lot of favors involved in this film some to some regard because i i would imagine someone like charlie sheen like being a part of like a hollywood family and having that like it feels like christopher coppola and i might be speaking out of line here is definitely like like cashed in his name chips do you know what I mean? Using yeah. that using that Coppola name to be like, hey, I'm a Coppola. 
you know what I mean? Like, like, uh, come and come and get involved in in this in this movie I'm making. And I, like, on paper, you can kind of see what he is going for. Like, it has an element of trying to be this like noir film about this guy who kind of gets in over his head and who's being conned like throughout the whole film. And I guess. <laughs> I, I guess one of the things that really leans into the fact that it's a noir is the voiceover we get throughout the film. Most people like to think they have some degree of control over their lives. The truth is we're all subject to the influence of others. Those who appreciate this can make a lot of money from those who don't. But any small-time grifter who ever dealt off the bottom of a deck can tell you that. What I can tell you about is the price one pays for peddling confidence. How every mark you fleece takes away another piece of your soul. And what happens when you try to pick up the pieces? I'm risking fifty grand here. What, 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 what? Like, what do you make of this voiceover we get throughout the film? This is this is the thing because, like, as soon as you started playing that, I just audibly went, "Fuck me!" And I found a clip of this on YouTube. Someone had edited edited all the voiceover together and it's like nearly four minutes it's a lot mm. um and it's like you said on paper you can kind of sort of if you squint really hard and look at it from a certain angle in a certain light at a certain point of day at a certain area of the year on a certain mountaintop in a certain hemisphere you can sort of kind of maybe see what they were going for but it was like Okay, here's here's the ten rules of how to do in a war film, and it's like they said, <laughs> nope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so like you can you can see like the the seeds of what they were trying to go for. They're trying to have like um, as Joe Donan calls himself in one of the first uh, monologues. He's the all American boy. His con never fails. Like he's supposed to be. Uh, this likable character going deeper into this mysterious, weird, fantastical world of the con. Um, but the issue is, and I think this this goes into you know maybe the formats of Michael uh, Bean Bane um, is. I have nothing against Michael Bean. Um, I think he's a good actor. By all accounts, seems like a nice guy. I've seen the Terminator and Aliens had a lot of like big eighties roles to his name. So I'm, you know, I'm not trying to tarnish that. But when it comes to this, it feels like a sense of, I guess, with all the monologues of the voiceovers and a lot of the things that the characters say. And I'm, I'm not going to put all the characters on one side, and I'm going to put Eddie on the whole other side of the equator of that, um, that conversation there. I think all the dialogue feels like it's a lot more intelligent than what it is. But my issue with Joe, you know, he's the main character, but he's got the charisma of a wet lettuce in a dustbin. It's so <laughs> fucking boring. Well, that, that, like he's that voiceover so reminds me of, I'm not sure if you've ever seen the original cut of Blade Runner when they got Harrison Ford to like kind of come in and do a voiceover for it. And it, feels like somebody is like writing it in the next room and going like on the ADR session like oh Michael yeah here's the next page just read this and it's this kind of like babbly bullshit no like there are long periods of the film where it like it's not in there and then like it comes back and you go oh yeah there is voiceover in this film and it is like it, you could tell it's all recorded like 
what do you say, four minutes. So what, that's maybe half a day in a booth, if that. Do you know what I mean? It's a couple yeah. of it's a couple of hours because it doesn't sound like they they did multiple takes in any way. It was kind of like first one's done. It, it maybe <laughs> even like a kind of production note where they're like, we haven't quite got this film. Let's stick a bit of voiceover on top to to try and make it make more sense. <laughs> it feels like. I think, like I say, maybe they just had half an hour in the, well, half a day in the booth and they're writing the, the lines on the day. And then Michael Bean's gone in and he's just like read through it. It's like, um, okay, and you're scraping barnacles and we're all stuck in the con and we're all pull, having our strings pulled. And then he's looked up and said, like, um, okay, yes, whenever you're ready, I'll, 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 I'll go for the line. And then someone on the other side of the booth has went, that's a wrap, Michael. Well done, everybody. Yeah, we got it. We got it. And Michael's like, are you sure? Yeah. Are, you, are you sure? Is like, yep, 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 yep. All good, all good, all good. Like he's been like toast of London, Clem Fandango, or something. <laughs> just, just, he's just been ribbed. Yeah. This whole movie is just like a running joke at Michael Bean's <laughs> expense, and you kind of you kind of feel sorry for him because he's meant to be the lead, but um, oh, he he can't. I saw a review, I think, really summed it up, the dynamic. Um, and I'm sort of paraphrasing here. I forget the person who sort of like scribed the review. It's on Rotten Tomatoes, I think. But they said, if Nicolas Cage is completely over the top, then Michael Bean is completely under the bottom. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's, it's a really perfect synopsis of like their contrasting characters and styles in there. Well, like he's surrounded by a lot of people who seem to not be doing that much or kind of overacting. Because we get that we get that guy at the beginning, Frank, who is who is supposed to be the mark in the the con they're doing, who has come to 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 pay for the coke uh, yeah, come to pay for the cocaine and then like the police all bust in, all a part of the con, they're all in on it, and Joe accidentally shoots his dad, or does he? Um but like that guy's kind of going in with gusto. So you've got Michael Bean kind of there going, Yeah, so I'm, I'm getting, yeah, we're, we're going to go in this warehouse now. And you've got this guy going, Show me the cocaine. I want to taste the cocaine. And it's like, Wow, this guy's got a bit of chutzpah. And then you've got James Coburn, who at least is like, he's got a bit of old school Hollywood razzmatazz and gravita- gravitas to yeah. him. That like he's playing it. At least he's kind of got a, I don't know little bit of hook spur in what he's doing like in regard but then like michael bean's there going like oh dad i shot you do you know what i mean it, it feels it feels very gcse drama a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of what's going on yeah. yeah obviously you've got you've got frank and and like every time he did it it sent shudders through my spine because he's he, you know as we said he is the that is he isn't he the mark and then one of the, his first bits of dialogue is just a, a massive snort going, and i was like oh god fucking pink man Ugh. and then james coburn i mean to james coburn's credit he's playing like two roles in this he's playing both the brothers and they're different enough yeah they're different enough which you're like yeah, okay fair and then michael bean's just there <laughs> and it makes me laugh like every time i've seen it because obviously the, the con the double bluff con goes down and he quote unquote shoots his dad and then it's just that really like he shouts the line but there's no emotion like he's wired it's his shadow no <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like 
Oh man, and you've got to stress at this point. We're like four minutes into the film, mm-hmm. maybe three, and at this point, my fuck off scale, where I've shouted the word fuck off to the screen, we're at like three at this point. Mm-hmm. I'm like, we've got eighty-seven minutes left, baby. Let's let's do this thing. Um, but he's, the acting just doesn't get better. And then I will say as well, when James Coburn gets shot, and, and again, I will say, um, he's probably the person who I had the least issue with in terms of acting here he's getting shot acting fucking diabolical this is a man <laughs> in a lot of westerns if you recall there's a sound he makes when he gets shot he goes like ur, ow, ur. I, ima- then, I imagine though being a western star he was kind of uh pillaging a lot of native folk and like killing a lot of like black hats do you know what I mean as opposed to he he was probably the, the white hat cowboy going in and stirring up shit he, he probably hasn't had his fair share of deaths and in, in, I'm, I'm not I'm not au fait with James Coburn's work well this is the, the sound he made and you know I'm, I'm hearkening back to a simpler time of YouTube here before viral was viral um and look this video up because it's still fucking fantastic. It's in like 240p, but it holds up. If you type in a grape lady on YouTube, there's um, a classic clip of like this American sort of local news show. This like uh, roving report who's gone to this wine vineyard and she's like in the big tub, like stamping on the grapes. Um, and then hilariously, she falls out and wins herself. And the noise she makes, she goes, ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> and it sounds exactly the way that James Coburn does when he gets shot. And when you listen to that reference and watch that, dear listener, um, come find me and tell me how fucking spot on I've been. I will wait. <laughs> Perfect. I'll, I'll, I'll maybe clip that in right here. Uh, so um, one person... Speaking like we're, we're, we're kind of saying everyone around Michael Bean is electric, but that is not the case. And one person who is is Peter Fonda, who uh, I yeah, I pulled a clip of like the moment he basically you see him drive off set with his paycheck and like how like kind of <laughs> lackluster he is. Did you see the woman on my... What was that? I almost forgot. This is all your father had on him. See ya. This is what I mean, because you know, from what I remember about the only thing I remember about Peter Fonda is that he's characterized hair tied back. At any time, a white male in the eighties or nineties had their hair tied back. They were bad news, so you know he's a bad guy. But this this harkens back to like, you know, obviously must be as you said, Christopher Coppola cashing in his chips to get some names. But it's like again the room level of acting. It's like make me think of when 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 um. Uh, Tommy Wiseau's in the flower shop is like, hi, doggy, you're my favourite customer, bye. Like, that's yeah. <laughs> that's what that level of acting is. Um, and it's not even like, we can't even look back now and like laugh at it for what it is. It's just like, uh, yeah, see ya. Like, that's a wrap on Peter Fonda, everyone. Yeah. Well done, Peter Fonda. <laughs> it's, it's bizarre, because obviously 
there's no real like sense of passage of time in this film as well because we kind of get that like opening gambit of of the con gone wrong and then we cut to like um joe looking disheveled in his apartment and like peter fonda talking to him and then we cut to the funeral and we see we like so joe has this recurring thing where he keeps seeing an image of his dead mum right throughout the film which yeah uh so that is what he's responding to there because he's like did you see that woman like and my that's again michael being in that scene like he's kind of like he's getting what that's what that's what is kind of jarring about this film is no two actors seem like they're in the same film at the same time do you know what I mean when like <laughs> my, michael being there is kind of giving it his all then you like get to peter fonda he's like hey buddy what was that you were going on about like it's like why, why can't you both get like it feels like everyone was filmed separately do you know what i mean it's bizarre yeah it's it's actually a perfect point because there's there's no there's no correlation of that we're, we're working towards a goal here and that we're on the same wavelength and i think you know you know we're up to the peter fonda point here and i can't stress enough we're 15 minutes into the film at this point and already like no one looks like they're bothered. Um, I mean, you know, again, Michael Bean, bless him. I don't know if he's trying. I don't know if he's he's trying. Uh, it's 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 baffling. And then you've got the, the recurring woman at the grave thing. And then you've got the other recurring thing, which is the most baffling thing, or dare I say, I say most, one of many baffling things in this film is people being followed by a bearded man. Yes. Yeah, who... who- uh, who even when he like, and we'll get to it, but like even when that arc is resolved, it's you're left with questions. You, it, it's it's not resolved. The character just isn't in the film anymore. That's what this film does. It's like a character is in it and then they're not. It's not like their arc is somewhat resolved. Like it's kind of like, oh, we need a character. We need some suspense because. Yeah, we get that scene of Michael Bean on the bus, right, heading out west to see his uh, see his uncle Lou in New Orleans. I think it is potentially. It kind of has that that vibe to it. Somewhere around there, it it, it could be New Orleans. It could be California. We have no idea. They probably <laughs> say it, but ultimately, not important well, whatsoever. Let's let's get another bit of that voiceover when he finds the letter from his dad. So it was a surprise to me when I found the letter he wrote to his brother Lou. The brother I never even knew he had. Most of it was about how much Pop hated him. Something had gone down between the two brothers. It looked like a woman was the cause of it. But the real shock was that he said he was proud of me. And that he loved me. <laughs> now that's not the Pop that I remembered. Maybe it was the way he used to be before all he cared about was turning a buck. What what like kind of baffles me about the the voiceover for one is the fact that this we're supposed to believe that this is somewhat him telling us the story of what is happening. So he has some kind of do you know what I mean? He's talking like past tense. He's like, that's when I found it's not like it's not in the moment. It's not like him narrating 
what is kind of, do you know what I mean? It's not him there and then, it's him kind of looking back on the event of it. And it's very bizarre for somebody who has lived this life of double bluffing and conning people that he can't read his own dad in regards to like uh, the, yeah. the, the the stuff in his letter and can't put two and two together about his dad and his brother were fighting and a woman was involved and it's like your fucking mum. Do you know what I mean? It's like, that's the woman that talks like, who else is it going to be, you bella? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, put, like, you can't, you, you, you can, you can convince these people into these, these big, like, cons, but you can't put two and two together about they had a beef about your mum. Like, come on. You, it's sloppy. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you're supposed to be the all-American boy, and the all-American boy's not meant to have troubles like this. It, it it's it, it is baffling though when you say it because you know he he is supposed to be clued up about this but when he can't even like read your dad and then he's he's doing the narration as well because it kind of sounds like he's narrating something that happened five minutes ago like he's just grabbed someone off the street and was like oh I've got a story for you there sunshine um and then the whole he's he as it turns out he's drawn into the conflict off his father and his uncle because his uncle wanted to raw dog his mom and now he's basically suffering this I don't even, I can't even really call it generational trauma just the, just the pettiness of the male ego between two siblings yeah um and, and off, off this quest to find the cake and I wished I wished it was a literal actual cake oh. like in a almost a portal sense we will get to we will get to uh, talk of cake in this conversation. Don't you worry about that, Daryl. But before we do, uh, when uh, Joe heads out west and scopes out the operation that his uncle is running, he's kind of running this uh, uh, like bookie thing at the local market and all the kind of like like old men it seems to be there's all these old men who are in on it and all the vendors in this kind of market are in on it and there's like uh there's mickey dolan's from the monkeys is one of them is one of the guys uh, look at uh <laughs> <laughs> and you kind of got these these like ragtag bunch you got that is like kind of like guy who looks like he's an extra in goodfellas who, who runs a pizza stand of course he does and um joe has this like uh I don't know conversation with this like uh, like pimple faced kid about like hey do you know Lou Dolan I, I, I'm his nephew I, I, I'm looking for him and then and then we get that introduction of our um of our boy our beautiful boy Nicholas Cage. Pick a card. I don't think so. You don't think so. <laughs> Yeah, that's not very sociable behavior. Go on, took a card. Look, I'm a little busy right now. Why don't you take a game someplace else? Busy at the market. I'll tell you what. If it's a high card, I'll tell you who I am. A low card, I'll tell you who you are. Is that a deal? <laughs> sure. Joker. Joker. Yeah, uh, Praise the Lord. It's a hell of a card trick. 
Why don't you get lost? <laughs> so, what are your impressions? What like can you remember back to your first impre- impressions of Cage in this film, Daryl? It's like, I mean, at this point, I think we're about we're over maybe it's seventeen, eighteen minutes in, and then we get you know the first confirmed Cage sighting, and it's just like. It's like a, a live Bigfoot sighting. You're like, oh, fucking hell. It's like taking like a football to the face on a cold winter's day. It's just like waking up like, what the hell is this? Because the the characterization, the energy is just, again, going back to what you said, everyone's in a different film. And he is in a very, very different film to everyone else. So it's, it's like this, the, the hair, the sunglasses, this green jacket... Um, just this weird inflection, like it's kind of like, like he's got a cold, but he's also smug as well, and it doesn't match up with any of the energy you've seen from any character so far, because everyone's been very like, as as maybe we've had a little bit of, but now he's suddenly going, and you're like, this is, this 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 is a lot, and I think you know it's an interesting introduction because like, oh, this guy. This guy's quirky, this guy's eccentric, this guy's different. And, you know, um, for better or worse, within the whole narrative and context of this film, I think, you know, we've we've got to um, face the facts and call a spade a spade here, card reference. But Nicolas Cage is the best thing about this film. Yeah, but, but, but to that point, like, like, does he work, like, within this film? I think is, is 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 an important question because like like you said like he he feels like he's from a different film and I think no other point like points to that more than the fact that he was told he could dress however he wanted and I like that goes to show that like Chris Coppola almost didn't have the like I don't know didn't have the stones to tell him no on certain things he kind of just like let him go go off and it, it feels like every, every take in this feels like a first take do you know what i mean or like there wasn't like development to the character i know that cage turned up with the wig and originally had um albino contact lenses in and like had this he had a character established but i'm not sure if it it matches up with the character that was intended with like yeah christopher Cobbler's vision maybe yeah, it's a very fair point. And I, I had a similar line of thought because I, I was thinking on this. There's no way at any point in pre-production, production, post-production, or you know, whatever point in film you want to call it, there was no way that Chris took Nicolas Cage to one side and was like, look, mate, I love you. And, you know, family, but what the fuck are you doing? There's no, he did not have that conversation with Nick at any point. Um, and I, f- I feel like he must have said, you know, and, and Nicholas Cage had some decent films under his belt at that point. He had like Raising Arizona and such. And I feel like he's reached out and Nick said, I'll do the film. But he's like, look, I've got this idea for a character. Chris, like, yeah, that's cool. Like, I just want, I want you in the film. And it feels to me almost like, um, you know, this is what happens when you say to Nicholas Cage, you have full creative control of your character and your output here. This, mm-hmm. this is like when you give him, uh, the wheel to the ship. This is what happens. He will try and get as close to the iceberg as he can because he's a fucking thrill seeker. 
But it feels to me as well like this is almost a continuation of that weird cameo character that he had in Never on Tuesday when he turned up for like a minute with the prosthetic nose and the red jacket and the long lank hair. And he's he's been he's been sitting with that character and he's had that voice from Peggy Sue got married. He's like, maybe I can I've got something here, I've got mm-hmm. this, this, this a ticking time bomb of a character. And then Chris Coppola said do whatever the fuck you want. I don't give a <laughs> shit. And then, and then we've got Eddie. Um, and that's the, that's the, the only way it makes sense to me. If you look at the history leading up to this, um, and to the point, like, would it have worked without him? I think, I think it's not to say that someone else couldn't have taken on this role because they're obviously trying to do this, you know, this, this guy is the danger. He's this um, unhinged, drug-addicted, um, maniac of a character and i think maybe anyone else could have taken the role and i think they maybe therefore would have matched the energy of everyone else we get in the film um but then i think we would have overall had a lot less talking points and a much duller film as a result i think on this line of thought as well i also kind of feel like with the charlie sheen involvement like chris coppola has said to charlie sheen that you can sort of do whatever you want with the character, but Charlie's been a bit more restrained with it in the pre-Tiger Blood era of his life. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think he's like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll loan you Cage, we'll loan you Sheen, but the caveat is you don't look at them, you don't talk to them, you don't even acknowledge they're on the set, you just, you just say fucking action and you let it happen. And Chris is like, fuck, all right, cool. We've only got 10 million, we've got to get this in the can. Yeah, well, there's like, uh, well... I think this sums up Cage's uh, performance in this film uh, perfectly. It looked like I had to pay my dues by wilding with Uncle Lou's flunky. Fucking fucker's fucked! Well, at least he was a lively fellow. And that, that definitely what, is what he is. He's a, he's a lively fellow. So, yeah, the, the, the plot transpires that you get that moment as well in Lou's office when we're introduced to Lou and, like, uh, Joe is kind of dumbfounded that he looks just like his dad even though they're bro- like twin brothers. And uh, there's like there's that swell of music and a pan in, to, like a zoom in to Eddie's hand. When he start, like he realises that Joe might like usurp him as Lou's right-hand man. And like it's just his hand like digging into the arm of the sofa. And we get that moment, like I think it's in that moment where he says, hey, you boys should go out and like have a night on the town. We get, uh, that like gif of Eddie doing like the thumbs up, and there's there's moments yeah. in that scene where it's, it's 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 quite frankly bizarre. Like Joe and Lou are having this conversation, but the camera is just like it's like they didn't capture the the one two take. Do you know what I mean the takes of of Lou and Joe, and all they've got is footage of Cage, and he's there just kind of like gurning on the sofa and kind of going <laughs> it's like all right yeah we'll, we'll go with this and he's like they're having a kind of like quite heartfelt conversation about his dad and everything that's gone on and stuff like that and uh yeah the the, the camera is transfixed on cage i'm, I'm glad for it because it's like that's what i'm here to see because yeah like you said i do think i i, I kind of got to agree with you that he is at least the best thing yeah he is the best thing and the most exciting thing in this film and, and the, like i mean that scene as well obviously we have to accept the fact that 
Joe had no idea that his his dad had a brother and that they were twins and that he doesn't know what twins are, um, given that ridiculous reaction. Um, and then obviously with like with Cage as Eddie, he just sat on the leather chair, gripping it, just absolutely tripping balls. His face is just like moist. I think this is like the first time where the, where the film is just like, oh, what about this guy? Yeah. He gripped a chair. And then you've got that that harsh like string score going like dun, 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 dun. <laughs> it's very on the nose. Be like fucking look at this guy, this guy. There's there's no. It's the subtlety of a sledgehammer to the balls to try and tell you that this guy might be bad news. Let's kind of like like I don't know like uh, pick up the pace talking about the film because like there's kind of stuff like we we should delve into. But like that night they go on a con right. They have this like. Again, it's a really like it's it's called um is it a class uh, was it a pigeon a, yeah it's like a yeah the, I think they call it the pigeon drop I think they call it yeah so it's a classic like something you'd see on like the Real Hustle uh, those of you who remember that uh, BBC Three uh, TV series about people showing you cons that you could be conned with and this is like a classic. You leave a bracelet that you talk about how expensive a bracelet is, how valuable it is. You leave it in there. Somebody else who isn't with you picks it up, goes to the mark, who normally a bartender. I think this might be, yeah, there's like uh, there's like a street song called like uh, How to Con an Honest John that might kind of like talk about a similar con to this, but like, uh, you 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 find your mark, and a disparate stranger finds the bracelet. They think they're going to be onto a winner by getting like a reward of five hundred dollars. They buy it for considerably less. They think they're going to make a profit, and then they don't. And uh, I've got a clip of that con just because this is a moment. The bartender, the 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 mark in this con, is played by Talia Shire. So that will be this will be Nicholas Cage and Christopher Coppola's auntie, Francis Ford Coppola's sister. Uh, those of you who need dots joining up, and the the bar patron is played by Mark Coppola. So Nicholas and Chris's brother, the guy who's in that kind of gauche white patch jacket. Yeah, he's just like, what happened? Yep. So here we go. Where'd you find that? I found it on the floor in the phone booth. It's my bracelet. I lost it. No, it's not. I'll give you $50 for that bracelet. 50 bucks for this? All right, 100 200 okay. Thank you, lady. Yeah. You take care of yourself. What the hell was that all about, Sam? I just made myself $300. That's what that's about. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. We're sorry. You have reached a number that has been disconnected or is no longer in service. What do you make of that scene, Daryl? Is it like, as a kind of like, it like, that, that feels like, I don't know, like a, a bit more of an introduction to Eddie as well, right? With kind of like him, him kind of 
out and about amongst other people, not just Joe and Lou. Yes, it's. I, I think it is to maybe establish that to an extent Eddie does know what he's doing because the introduction we've had to him so far is him going, what a bigger card. And then him going, what do you say? We have some fun tab, family fun. And then he's screaming, fucking fuck as fucked as he had in the clip there. So we've just had the erratic Eddie, but now we've got, I don't know if composed is the right word, but it shows that he's in the world. He knows how to run a con. I think it's trying to get us um, more aware of the dynamic between Eddie and Diane as well, played Mm -hmm. by, Sarah Trigger, who becomes very quickly a love interest for Joe because pff, reasons he is the all American boy. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it sort of serves a purpose, but at the same time, it's kind of like it's not the way that Eddie's been necessarily built up. So I can see why they put it in there. I think more, if, more for the reasons, the sort of kind of B plot reasons of Diane. But if that scene was cut out, I don't think you would have missed it, in my humble opinion. No, I think I think what's more of an important scene is the next one where we get the just Eddie and Joe at the strip club, and we're introduced to Baby, who um like they're there to shake him down for the ten ten grand or something that he owes Lou, and um Joe kind of pulls this great con, kind of on Eddie and uh gives Baby like a free pass on his debt pays the pays his debt with his own money and just says hey all you've got to do is come outside shake my hand and kind of give me a hug and like just just so eddie can see this interaction go on like that's a lot more of like a kind of interesting scene right because it's this kind of you're getting to see that like joe has got this hard edge to him and he he's, he's hungry he's hungry to be in lou's pocket like Eddie already is, right? Yeah, I mean, it shows that, like, you know, for all the faults with the depiction of Joe, this shows that, you know, he's he's smart, he thinks on his feet, he is capable. Um, but it's it's kind of done quite quickly as well because we've got some lovely cage lines here where he's like, time to kiss the baby friend. <laughs> and then he, he sort of, like, pirouettes out of, out of, like, the shot and then he's outside in the car with Diane He's um he's like sniffing poppers or something or whatever it is he's, he's taking, and then he's going like, I'm not getting high, I'm not getting off of this, I'm not getting off of this, I'm not getting off of this, and he's going oh, blah, 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 that cackling like weird, incredible laugh, and then Joe just comes out and is like, meet my new friend, the baby, he's all right. Um, so he, he, you know it, it serves the purpose to start um I think poking the tension, poking that bear between. Joe and Eddie, and I think in a way, like the tension, it, it does feel a little bit forced. It does feel like it's come out a bit of nowhere because they're supposed to be like you know, lads, 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 night on the town. But there's tension because we saw a shot of Eddie gripping a chair quite close, mm-hmm. so you know that they're not good buddies. So you kind of just have to accept that there's tension from here on out, and there might be a bit of a thing with Diane and Joe. Um, well. That comes pretty quickly, right? So after this, Joe kind of does some like reconnaissance in Lou's office, which conveniently has a sign that says Lou Donan, which I'm pretty sure he wouldn't need a sign on this kind of office door. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's not like there's a lot of people working for his organization. It's him <laughs> and Eddie, right? It's like, it's not like people need to go, 
oh, which which office is it in this kind of uh, hallway with one door? Uh, where's 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 Lou's office? Like, I'm sure the people who need to know know where his office is. He doesn't need his name on it. Yeah, this this is the weird thing. Like, I can only assume, and it's and it's never really established in the films. That again, this is speculation, which you'll do a lot of in this film to make it make sense. But maybe that's just like the door for some kind of front. Because doesn't like everyone at the market work for for Lou anyway? So yeah. it's basically Joe's just there getting uh, sort of Truman showed in a way because everyone works for Lou anyway, passing like a fucking note around, um, just to like Chinese whisper of the way to Lou and get that audience with him. Um, so maybe maybe you know again me reaching it's this is. He maybe is the manager of the market. Again, I don't know. That's never really outright established what his um his cover job, his day job is, dare I say. We we just know Eddie's coming to his employee and whatever it is that Eddie gets up to, Lou's been fucking fine with it all yeah. this time. Um so a lenient boss, <laughs> to well, say the least. Yeah, well when 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 Joe goes to the office as well, he finds like a load of we find a pl- a couple of plane tickets to Tahiti, right? From like, yeah, I think I think it is LA. So it's LA to Tahiti. So it's must this must take place in LA. I'm imagining. Uh, um, and find like the photos of his dad and and Lou and stuff like that. And then and then transition to a scene that and this is what I was gonna say. Like it, it the, the relationship between Joe and Diane comes really quickly because. He stumbles back to his apartment. <laughs> we get we get this another bit of that beautiful voiceover. I didn't know it then, but that photo was the hook that would send me deeper into the shadows, squinting for the truth. And then Diane is in his in his motel, right? And a big question I had is, how did she know when he would be back? How long has she been there? And like, how did how is she there? And Eddie doesn't know, like from what's established, her and Eddie live together. I think, I assume, I don't, I don't quite know. You don't really know, like the the ins and outs of these people's relationships. No, um, I, I think Joe asks her about Eddie at some point, and then she kind of brushes it off and says, "Oh, it's just something to do." But I suppose as well, and hopefully I'm not misremembembering this. Um, just to sort of bring him back up here, just so you know, he's in the background. The bearded man makes another appearance and just watches Eddie drops off Joe. That's when Joe crosses the road to go to Lou's apartment. Mm. The bearded man's just like there, menacingly watching. Um, again, for reasons we don't really know. <laughs> Diane, Diane just happens to be in his room. They kiss and raw dog because reasons. Um, well, let's talk about that sex scene because I think it is like the the least sexy sex scene I've possibly ever seen in something that like I imagine wants to like make you feel like there's a there's a passion and there's a, a desire between these two characters right yeah it's I think we can't stress enough like this relationship and I think it's it's really crowbarred in to force more of this sort of disparity and this tension between Joe and Eddie when doesn't really need to be any tension at all. It's just weird that it's there. And she kisses him and he thinks Joe's got some street smarts here because he's like, no, you know, I'm not going there. I'm not doing it. But then she's like, but, but I'm lonely. Then she's got like a back turn to him and he's like, 
oh, well, why didn't you say so? And at this point, Diane basically winks at the fucking camera like, got him. Um, and then they just get down to business with just... I mean, the, the sex scene happens, but it's kind of just like... You know, you, the, the, at no point do you feel like a connection between these two characters. You don't feel like they should be together. It's not earned. It's no. like, oh, it's like fuck me, we've got... It's like Christopher Coppola's gone, we're 30 minutes into this film and we've got no tits. Are you kidding me? Um, and then they're like, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll write a sex scene and why not? So it just felt like like most, like most <laughs> of this film, an afterthought, really. You think you know me, Diane? I want to. What about your friend, Eddie? Make me forget him. How long until you forget me? Treat me right, maybe never. Mm, tempting words. I wear a sucker. Play me straight, Joe. Drop it, Diane. I know what you are. The question is why you're here. What do you want? You're hurting me. Well, the truth can be painful. Oh. Oh. The truth can be painful. So can this film. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ain't that the truth oh yeah it's uh i don't oh it's tempting words the truth can be painful i'm playing you straight joe like they've got to keep talking like con lingo it's like this is meant to be like an intimate like you know heated steamy scene and you're talking in fucking it might as well be like where we go like dot dot dash 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 dot dot dash and speaking in code What's, what what is what is also bizarre about that scene between those two as well is he lies about the locket that he has being a photo of an ex-girlfriend and then quickly reveals no it's actually a photo of my mum it's like why wouldn't you say that off the bat that's a photo of my mum why would you say it's an ex-girlfriend there was no reason for him to like to lie about that but he did um and and again it's one of those things it's like it's not like it says oh i lied because this reason like he just he just fucking told a lie in the moment um but but, but again it's like joe this is not these are not the actions of the all american boy <laughs> and i can't stress that enough you're the aab the all american boy baby and you're acting like this like uh, like trash this this is you know this is not role model behavior I'm not, I'm not here for that at all. Well, 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 next thing I wanted to talk about is we do actually get sight of a cake in this film. And uh, we get mention of cake that isn't code for anything else. Here's Hella. Fruity cake you made there, Blanche. Thank you, Louie. Oh, your favorite. Nice little horsies on there, too, huh? Of course I put the horsies on there. <laughs> I'm sorry about your father, Joe. Mm. Crazy broad. But I love her. I do love her. So let's talk about Gigi Rice as Blanche. It, she feels like, again, she's in a completely different movie doing this kind of sexy baby voice that she's doing throughout the film. Hey, Louie. I love you, Louie. Can't they put your little horses on there, Louie? Yeah, it's kind of skin crawling, isn't it? It's like this. I know it's sort of predating it a little bit, but it's like um, a Harley Quinn meets Betty Boop amalgamation, and it's just 
it's just off. Um, it's like you know, oh, we've we've got all these, and I think this is kind of like the, the slow build up of these more colourful characters because we've got Eddie and then we've got Blanche, and obviously we'll get to them. We get to uh, Fats with Mike Machine later, and we'll get to him, fucking Mister Krabs, the Claw Man, later on as well. <laughs> it's just it's this slow escalation of colourful colourful characters who none of them really need to be in the film. It's like, um, oh, how do we know that she's she's ditzy? She puts like toy horses on a cake, and James Coburn calls her a crazy fucking broad. <laughs> and I swear, I, I saw an open mic comic do that exact same bit about how he hated his wife and also loved her. It just reminded me of this guy that I saw in Brighton once. No one laughed. He was wearing a suit, but you would think he was just he just needed somewhere to vent. Oh. And that's and that's you know it was it was a comfortable to watch, but also fucking gripping. And I still think about it six years later. Um, so that's what <laughs> that scene made me think of. Open mic comics is what this scene made me think of. Yeah, like it's it is bizarre because it's and and is <laughs> you get whiplash from how the like conversations just turn as well because obviously Blanche is talking about this cake that she's made for Lou's birthday and then just like it, again it feels like oh shit we need to add that in it's like let's do another take you mention. That you're sorry about um about about the dad to to judge, you know what I mean? Because she kind of goes like, "I love the king. Oh, you put your little horses on it. Sorry about your dad." It's like, what, what, what? Surely, like, it's a. It seems like he might have been the established. He's been there for a while. Like, why are we? It feels. Why is it getting to it now that they're talking about the dad? What could the scene have not been? developed a bit more and a bit more kind of conversation going on instead of it just being this kind of breakneck turn to like oh yeah i need to mention the dad it's 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 kind of like again this is another one of those scenes it's like it didn't need to be there but it's like oh well we've said we're gonna have 10 actors we've kind of got to give the blanche scene a turn here and for, for her character you know this is kind of the only establishment of the relationship between her and Lou that we've got that like, he's the older guy. She's like the ditzy young lady. Um, and it's kind of like, there wasn't, it doesn't feel like there was that much need for her to be as acutely aware of the situation with Joe as she was, mm. um, because she's not adding anything to the conversation. Just like, remember that your dad died. I remember want some cake. Yeah, um, the, the, the whole scene is only there so Joe can give Lou the money from Baby, right? So he can be like, he's like, ah, oh, that was a, he's a real tough nut to crack, uh, Joe. How'd you manage to, how'd you manage to crack that nut? And he's like, because I'm real good. Eddie, Eddie couldn't, Eddie couldn't get the money out of him. Like, he's not as good as me. And uh, <laughs> it possibly then leads on to one of the best scenes in this film that, like, Oh, okay. yeah, I've, I've got a lot of clips for this scene just because it's uh, an absolute dynamite scene. But this is a confrontation. <laughs> this is a this is quite bizarre. I need to set up this clip because Baby approaches Eddie for no re like no real reason. Like Eddie's not provoking him in any way, but he still comes no. over to to say what. Well, <laughs> basically, it's like his presence just being in the strip club is like. Why are you pressuring me for the money, man? And it's like, again, it's it's real sloppy writing. Well, here's the same fucking pick and pop! Uh, I'll be there. Uh, oh, fucking 
summer long, sugar. All summer long. What's your problem, boy? I thought we were settled. Well, we aren't that, baby. There's nothing to worry about. What the hell are you bothering me for? Well, baby's a little cranky tonight, huh? Yeah. I don't dig looking at your ugly face. Now, your partner, he was a cool dude. Cool enough to get that baby to burp up 1500 I didn't pay him jack shit. Well, what are you talking about? You cleared your debt? He told me all I had to do was walk outside with him, shake his hand, and I was even. Are you telling me that was his fucking money? <laughs> Somebody's after your job, boy. I bet he even stole your woman. <laughs> I love that the film is telling us stuff that as an audience we already know. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and it's like this scene is like the only reason for this scene is for Eddie to become wise to the fact that Joe has diddled him, right? That, that's the only reason this scene exists, as you said, is for, is to be sort of the nail in the coffin of uh, Eddie versus Joe. And, you know, not only is Eddie going through every emotion under the sun here, where, you know, which I'm sure we'll get to, but it kind of speaks to... Uh, Maybe Joe here because again you go you go back to the scene where he's he's clearly worked with the baby, but then you would have thought for Joe as well because Eddie is clearly none the wiser about this. He doesn't have any idea that this has gone down. He thinks everything's hunky dory, but then if Joe just said to the baby, "I'll just we can keep this between us. I'll get it sorted. You don't need to mention anything." And then the baby just comes over and he's like, "You got fucking played, you loser!" And then. It's like there was. Joe could have easily had that covered up, but but he didn't. Well, the scene could have played out differently as well. Of Eddie actually provoking Baby, not not Baby instigating the kind of confrontation. It could have been Eddie kind of going over, being like, "Oh, how comes you paid up?" Do you know what I mean? And then it, it, it could have been just like a real simple rewrite to make that scene make more sense instead of an unnecessary. You wouldn't like. Eddie is clearly there not, like, for a fight. He's there to get his face in some tits. Do you know what I mean? He's, like, front row of the strip, <laughs> of the, of the strip show. I mean, this is exactly the thing, and I, I agree wholeheartedly there, because it, it could have just been, like, oh, Eddie has the conversation with Baby. There was... Because clearly from this, Baby seems to be under the impression that Eddie wouldn't have come back. Um, so he's made this assumption and he's just instigated this whole fucking thing. But then we get well, we get the highest pitch, like, oh, babe, don't know what I'm which is like, which is fantastic. But the, the joy, I mean, you know, these clips obviously give us, you know, some insight, but it, it leads to, I think, some of the the greatest and, you know, not to unintentionally to own horn here, some of the greatest cage rage that we get. Mm-hmm. in the movie uh, coming yeah. up like immediately following well yeah let, 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 let's get to that cage rage because cage rage because there is some absolute humdingers literally seconds after the clip i just played Hi, fucking yeah! 
<laughs> Outstanding stuff. I mean, this, this, the, the, just the quotability of that, because it took me, I think, watching that clip a few times before I deciphered that his first thing was, what the fuck are you looking at? Like, what the fuck are you looking at? And then, I think he throws a glass of water over someone's face. We get, like, the elongated fuck, which I really need to make that my text tone. And we get the incredible cherry on top, the high fucking yar. Just, this is, this is pitch perfect acting. No notes. Send it to print. Yeah, well, and the scene keeps going as well, right? Because like he then has a confrontation with the bearded man in the alleyway, which like again, like <laughs> we touched on it earlier. This is the demise of the bearded man. Who? Well, we find out that this film has a thing of the last like moment of a character like going, ah, that wasn't real. The hair. That's a wig. And the beard, that's also like a, a, a prosthetic. Why? What? Who is he? And like, and why, why is there constant references to the film director, Sam Peckinpah? Who's <laughs> the girl? Who sent you? Who sent you? Sam fucking Peckinpah. <laughs> incredible and i cannot stress that enough is again you know we, we've touched on the subject but really what we've touched upon is all the context for the bearded man that you get like it's it's not established if he's working for lou if he's working for mike if he's working for the baby if he's from some third party outside interest faction he's following joe then for some reason he's following eddie um and then he decides after the high fucking yar outburst to attack him in the alleyway. Um, numerous times people scream the name Sam fucking Peckinpah, who, you know, I, I didn't know the name Sam fucking Peckinpah for a while because I'd only seen it in clips and I was like, is Sam fucking Peckinpah a character in this Sam fucking Peckinpah movie? But it's, it's just a, 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 like a real life human being who has no context or it, really in the film or connection to the film, from what I'm aware at least. No, they, like so. Obviously, like Sam Peckinpah directed The Wild Bunch, uh, Straw Dogs, uh, Bring Me the Head of Fredo Garcia, and like he's a he's a director who's known to be like quite confrontational and like controversial, and like his films are quite violent, like really pushing the boundaries of what you could do at the time, like the sixties and seventies. But apart from that, I have like well, not even that. Like that's who he is. I have no idea why they're evoking Sam Peckinpah in this film whatsoever. It's it's insane because there's such, and, and you touched on this much earlier, but there's such limited information about this film uh, to, to find out. And again, me maybe reaching here, the only way this makes sense for me is, you know, sometimes directors and filmmakers put little Easter eggs into films and stuff. Did Christopher Coppola have a beef with Sam Peckinpah and then he just wanted to smite his name throughout the film? Yeah, or is it a homage for some, in some perverse, like weird, perverse way that we don't quite understand? Like, I don't, is this I don't, a Hollywood in joke? I've no the, idea. The, I've no idea. But obviously, like that, 
that rush and the high of Eddie killing this guy who's been sent by Sam fucking Peckinpah sends him on a spiral of just freaking out. And uh, we, <laughs> we get him like returning to his apartment and kind of having it out with Diane. Who would try to kill you, Eddie? The fucking hangers! Let me get you a drink. I didn't know you smoked cigars, babe, particularly Louis Brand. Eddie, it's really not what you think. Shut up! Shut the fuck up, man! <laughs> oh, you have fucking no man! What am I, a fucking retard man? Am I a fucking retard? Oh! I know what this is. Luke trying to stuff me up because of his crazy little dick you being around. Well, feed that fucking friends, man! <laughs> I bet I was the last person you were playing on scene tonight, doll! Get out. I'd really love a reason to blow you away. So get out. So. <laughs> what what <laughs> listeners couldn't see is Daryl mouthing along to every single line of that. And me, me joining in as well, because it is a masterclass in caginess that scene and kind of like it, it feels like feels like it was one take and like I, I, i'm not sure if he could have delivered another take like that it's kind of a whirlwind of a performance right i mean this is all the weather this this is a just a torrential hybrid gale force five of pure acting and when you go into the IMDb page and you scroll down to like quotes, the first one, I think the first one that comes up is him just going, fuck. But this is a clip I've seen so many times over the course of my life. This is peak cage rage. This is like gold standard cageism. This is cage uh, rage 101. Um, and, it, you know, some of that you have to kind of think, right, realistically, how much of that was on the script? I I can't. There was no way that fucking hangers was on the script. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Had to, that had to have been an ad lib. Um, I mean, vive la fucking France! Him making those sniveling like baby sounds, and just shouting like on the bed. I mean, unless they just put the direction in, it was just like Eddie is mad. Look, you do what you want with this. But then I, I, you know, I kind of think, just imagine being Sarah Trigger during that filming day. Yeah. I mean, like, 
are you genuinely afraid? Are you, are you biting your tongue to keep it together? Because there had to be some outtakes. Like that clip you played earlier of like Joe voiceover, Eddie going like, fucking fuckers fucked, and then Joe voiceover. If you watch that clip, I swear to God, Michael Bean corpses. Oh, he's got to have. He's got to have. <laughs> like he, he definitely looks down as like a hand that goes to like cover the face that he tries to like hold it together with the all-American boy smile. But somewhere on the cutting room floor exists an outtake reel for this film, and I will pay any figure you have to get that. <laughs> well, like, again, like, this section feels clip heavy because we're getting to the end of Cage's tenure in this film, but it, it, it is just like you said, like, this is ultimately quotable every time he's on screen. And, None more so than when he confronts Lou as well. The crazy fucking world we live in, Captain Jack! Eddie, what the hell is this? You filthy, double-crossing, little fucking filthy, double-crossing, filthy, fucking goddamn fucking filthy little brat! What the hell has gotten into you, man? What is this? Oh, what the hell has gotten into you, Eddie? What is this? Oh, that's really good, darling. Oh, that's like a poker face, like a fucking statue! Pick a card! You cracking up? What is this? Pick the fucking card! <laughs> it's gotten into you. In a couple of days, you're not going to make a bundle of money. Now, now don't money. Eddie, come on, don't blow it now. Put the gun down. Show me the Joker. Oh, come on, put the gun down. Just show me the fucking Joker. Well, how the fucking knew you, man? The Joker's wild! You trying to take me out of the game? And squeeze in your fucking nephew, huh? Well, who's sitting behind your fucking desk now? Me! I'm behind your fucking desk now! Me! This is about Joe? Oh, God. Eddie, after, after all we've been through together? Come on, man. Bullshit. Bullshit. Jesus Christ, you stupid fucking hothead! Come on, what is this? Uh, what the hell is going on here? Huh? I'll show you Eddie. a fucking hothead, man! Put I'll show you a hothead! You don't want me to be an asshole! <laughs> Cue the 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 deep fat fryer sizzling with oil, and I can only imagine like the elapse in time for that as well. Somebody who's worked as a as a a fry cook in a kitchen, it it takes it takes a a little bit of time for that oil to get up to the right temperature to start frying stuff. Like it's not it's not instantaneous. So there would have been a lot. I, I'd love to see if there's like an extended scene of him getting Lou from the office, kind of having to like tie him up and be like, right now I've got to go through the protocols. I've got to turn the turn the burners on. I've got to make sure that like the levels are right. And like, it looks pretty overfilled as well. That fryer. It looks like it's going to cause some damage to somebody. It's a health and safety nightmare. But the things that we know for sure is that Joe knows his way around a deck of cards and a deep fat fryer. This man's got range. This man can do things that you can't believe. Eddie, uh, yeah, yeah. Eddie, Eddie's a wild man. He's, uh, the, the Joker's wild, as he said. The, the Joker's fucking wild. The Joker's fucking wild. And I think, you know, just getting all flustered here, because this is, you know, we're building towards the crescendo of Eddie here. Um, which is really where, and, and, and you know, there's, there's the Eddie versus Joe culmination. There's um, him screaming, like, again, we've had it before, like, you want to fuck, we fuck now, doing no justice to the delivery here. Um, I don't know if you've got that in the bag. If you do, fair play to you, sir. But... You want to fuck? You want to fuck? 
Yeah, yeah. Of course you have it. Of course you have it. And I know I'm sort of, you know, sidetracking myself here, but this this score is all over the place. The harsh strings. It sounds like a Friday the Thirteenth intro piece, or like, or or it's going for like a Bernard Herrmann, like kind of how Alfred Hitchcock vibe with this kind of melodramatic like. Like sight, it's it's kind of eight. Like, can you do? Can you do psycho? Can you do psycho? But then at times, can you do like kind of sexy noir music? It's it's again, feels like a real hodgepodge of kind of influences and ideas. It's it's very much like a throw shit at the wall and let's see what fucking sticks with this whole movie. It's it's just a a maddening all over the place. Or, but back to the you know the point at hand, you know. Uh, this this the the great deep fryer battle of ninety three going down here, um, and, and when we suddenly learn that apparently Joe can handle himself in a fight as well, um, and then unfortunately, and this is, and as you know, it sounds weird considering right. There's forty minutes of the film left here, I think, yes. including credits as well, but this is where we say goodbye to Wendy. We get deep fried cage face, um. And the wig reveal as well. Yeah, that he gets the wig pulled off, and I think Eddie says something. He's like, "Like, like you, you motherfucker" or something, because he pulls the wig off. Um, and this goes back to what you're saying, like the beard is fake, Eddie's wig is fake, and this. Skipping ahead a little bit, I think this is the final monologue where he talks about the whole world being fake, and maybe this is supposed to be representative of everything being fake. But in the moment, though. When you don't have that sort of context, and the wig comes off, and the cage is just fucking bald, you're like this. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Perfection. Yeah, this is perfect five star cinema. The <laughs> film can end here, and really, the film should have ended there. Well, yeah, like the thing is, like, I, 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 like I'm happy to end the the conversation here on this film because afterwards, it kind of like, ha- like. It has the balls to think like we can go further. Do you know what I mean? It's like a lot of confidence in yourself as a writer. And like let's let, let let's touch on this point quite quickly. Is not only is this written by Christopher Copeland, this is written by Nick Vallelonga, who would go on to write the script for uh a green book that obviously won the Academy Award. Like like I think a lot of people, I, I, I feel like I'm in good company to say it wrongfully won the Academy Award. Like, yeah. <laughs> for, 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 for best, yeah, he, he must have won best screenplay for that film if, he, if he's an Oscar winner. But, like, what, like, what were those guys doing? You can only imagine they were kind of, like, pals because they kind of, their their families are involved in the kind of showbiz world in some way that they were just mates and this this film feels like it was written in a coke binge do you know what i mean like a couple of guys calling a guy at seven o'clock in the morning going oh you still you still delivering coke yeah yeah, yeah. get some more over here we're we're we're, we're 50 pages deep into this film and like or, or we're 100 yeah we're we're X amount of pages deep in this and we need to write a fucking ending. Like, let's get some more in. 
you couldn't have given like a better summation of what this this film is like when i um on my podcast when i was talking about uh Drive Angry, um, the guest I had on for that, comedian Jamie Allerton, said his summation of Cage films are all related to cocaine. And um, one of the categories was like, no one's on coke, just Cage is on coke, uh, just the filmmakers are on coke, every motherfucker is on coke. And this is a full-blown coke party here. This yeah, is yeah. like snorting off tables, this is a snorting off hookers, big 80s affair. Everyone is on cocaine. You cannot convince me otherwise. And only... <laughs> Only the influence of cocaine could have given this man the confidence to think this film should have gone on for another 35 fucking minutes. And when it's when you've had that the peak of Eddie there, um, and this this huge like three-quarter of the way, sort of two-third of the way climax in the deep fat fryer, and then you introduce these two new characters, you know, we get um we get Charlie Sheen as fats, we get um Claw McGee. Who comes in because they're like, oh yeah, we've got a. It's like they remembered, oh fuck yeah, we've got like a whole fucking con to pay off that thing we started at the start of the film. They could have ended it there and left that unresolved, and it would have made a better film because nothing that follows is as interesting as what we've had with Cage. Um, and it's just unfortunately the best. I mean, not that a lot of this film wasn't a slog anyway, for better or worse. But what follows is just. And, and you know, and, and this is a big term to use. This is just the rest of this is just unacceptable. <laughs> yeah, well, like the, the thing is, like from here, like I think Joe realizes, like Eddie's dead, and Lou owns him. That's what he says. He says, like Eddie's dead, Lou owns me now, and he says to him, like I've got this big job, I've got a big possum trap job, and this is kind of like this is supposed to be like a kind of big. A Ocean's Eleven style, like big con at the end, and it's just like I don't know. It feels like you've got to the fin- yeah, like watching the finale of a show, and then them going, "Oh no, there's one more episode." Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> getting to like the or, or, or like I don't know, like as great as it was, it's like watching the end of Breaking Bad, and then going, "Oh yeah, by the way, we've got El Camino," where it's like. Oh yeah, it's it's really different in tone. If you kind of watched it straight after the end of Breaking Bad, it's like end on this big bang, and then it's like let's let's slow things right down because we we want we want to pay some stuff off. And it's uh, uh, I don't know. Like I've I've got a clip of Charlie Sheen just because I felt like I needed to include mm-hmm. Charlie Sheen in this. This was Sam's game. Samuel Langhorn Clemens. You know, Mark Twain. The genius behind Huck Finn. Tom Sawyer. Personal favorite of mine. A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. He used to play whenever he had writer's block. Said it was good for the brain. I don't think I've seen you around here before, have I? So do you want to take us through what this final what what what, what entails in this final con that Lou has got got for Joe to partake in? Well, 
it, it seems like the, the you know the the harkening back to the start of the film to sort of pull off the con that uh that we believe killed Mike. This this is gonna be the big score for like two million worth in diamonds. Um and then to do that, Joe has to play a game, some weird pool game against fats where they're kind of hitting a red and a yellow ball and the cue ball around each other. I don't really know what the game was. So I, I kept playing it. I, yeah, I kept kind of um, looking out for that because I was like, uh, "What are the rules of this?" Tried tried searching. I was like, "Is this this actual billiards?" Because I noticed there's no pockets on the table for one. This might be like old school billiards, and it looked like what you had to do was get to twenty five unbroken, like kind of shots. But all you had to do was hit the cue ball off of the red and the yellow ball in one shot. Do you know what I mean? You like within one hit of the cue ball had to hit both colours and that was it. And it was first the twenty five who could do it was the winner. That sounds about right. I think you had to hit it off a certain amount of cushions or something because there seemed like an element of trick shottery in this. Well I think that's just to well. do the angles to to be able to hit both of them because if it's coming off like yeah, coming off that cushion to hit that ball, it's got to then deflect off of that cushion to hit the other ball. All that kind of razzmatazz and jazz. I think. I think it's like the the thing is like I don't think after what happened with Eddie Paul is like a kind of it's a real it takes it down and that's that music showed us. It's kind of quite sleepy jazz music and it is kind of like I don't know. It's like you've ejaculated and then like it's like. I just, <laughs> And, and then you're asked like to do something like go for a run it's like i don't think i want to go for a run right now i just want to go to sleep yeah i think you know a great ejaculation metaphor if i do say so myself you what you want to sleep at this point but then like the, the momentum of the film has just fallen off a cliff edge but it seems like um this is part of the con from joe so he's had to basically lose on purpose to Fats, who is basically the final boss-level faux hipster that you might meet in some kind of Camden town. Um, so he can get taken through to... Uh, I never got his name. I think I missed it. I've only got him down as Mr. Krabs. A, yeah. a man, some fucking C-grade Bond villain with a mechanical claw. Dr. Lime, um, his name is, played by uh, an absolute legend of cult cinema, Angus Scrim, who a lot of people may know from the Phantasm films. He plays like ah. the, the tall man, the kind of overarching villain in, in in the Phantasm films. And they're like, there is, thing is, for like fans of the Phantasm films, there's a nice little kind of Easter egg because when Joe goes into his office, there's this kind of weird, you get a shot of this weird orb. And that is like, you get the silver balls in Phantasm. That makes sense. And, but it feels, it feels like, okay. Angus Scrim is not the best actor in the world. It just felt like Christopher Coppola was like, hey, I like Phantasm. That was made by Don Coscarelli, who's this kind of guy who just funded his films by any midway means. He's like this cult director. I'll just get his lead actor in my film as well. As you said, to play this kind of, I don't know, like uh, Blofeld meets Mr. Krabs. <laughs> Crabfeld or Blow Crabs, or however you want yeah. to call him here. Um, so it's basically he's doing what he did at the start of the film where he makes it out like he's going to work with blow crabs 
but he's actually working for Lou, so we can do the double agent thing, but this time not kill his relative. Um, so then we we eventually get to that final showdown here. Um, and then it, it all sort of kicks off where we get, I don't know if I can really call it the big reveal because it's all quite convoluted anyway. It gets to the big reveal where they're going to do the exchange of the diamonds for the money. Um, Joe has the flashbacks to his his father. He he can't pull the trigger. He can't like pull the final bit of the fire the blank. Um, Lou ends up getting killed anyway in the crossfire. It turns out the mystery woman who was the visage of his mother was Diane the whole time. So we get this reveal that Joe's actually being played the whole time. The the long con was on Joe. And I wrote down here um, what I think the ending is, if I've sum summarized it correctly or correctly enough. But Joe was being played by his dad the whole time. So Joe and Mike did a con, but Mike was long conning Joe so that Mike could con Lou to get back at Lou for getting the horn for his wife or some shit in brackets. The mother died and was killed at this point. Who gives a shit? <laughs> um, th th that's, my, that's my summation of what I think this has all been fucking about yeah well like when we when we get to that like uh diamond deal is like dr lime says to his kind of two flunkies these kind of really like <laughs> like crazy looking guys he's like if it all goes south just kill them all anyway and like there is one shot in this where i was like oh this is kind of interesting and it's when they're setting up for the deal and you get that um kind of panning shot that kind of like goes around in a circle and it's all like really dark everyone's kind of like in total pitch blackness apart from their bodies and like they're kind of like yeah getting their guns ready it's kind of like quite a good shot and you're like oh, this is some like decent filmmaking at least like do you know what i mean it's like there that's what i mean like i i i think i went into this watch thinking oh can i like look for things that are good in this bit do you know what I mean? Instead of just being an sure, absolute like sure. uh, thrashing of what what is going on, just reminded me of like uh, that seventies show, just like spinning round to all the characters. Yeah, when when they're when they're passing the joint, right in that seventies <laughs> show, but they they're not like because they weren't allowed to show that. But um, I wish someone passed it to me in this fucking. Film. <laughs> Let let's yeah that that reveal. So the dad is alive, right? And I I'd kind of forgot because it's been a fair few years since I watched that. I remembered it wrong in that it turned out that Lou was actually his dad in like he dyed his hair and just pretended to be someone else. But the, the actual thing is Lou is now dead. And then, yeah, it's not just his dad, Mike, who's back. Peter Fonda and Frank, the guy from the original deal, were in on it as well as Diane. He was introduced well. with a snort as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I suppose as well, you know, at this point we have found out what the cake is as well. We've had the cake reveal, uh, which touches back on the whole Mike Lou thing. It's an, a cake which is like an, like an ornament thing that's housing the engagement ring that Lou was going to propose to Joe's mother with. Yeah. Um, but Mike wanted Joe to find the cake to get the to, to get the to get the ring back. I don't know why he sent him after the cake. I've no, I've I've no idea. I just thought, I thought throughout this cake was like just a metaphor for like the big score. Do you know what I mean? Like the mm. big, the big, the big packet, the big, the, 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 the yeah, the, the the big win, like as it were. 
And I don't know, like again, like so the big the big showdown at the end is on a is on a carousel as well. I don't know why it's on a carousel, but it is for kind of no apparent reason. Again, it, it, it just kind of screams of like, oh, we had access to this set piece of a carousel and it looked good at the time but served no thematic purpose that I'm aware of. Mm. Um, all, all this, we, we get the showdown and then Joe shoots the briefcase of the money and the money falls everywhere and he just leaves his dad to scoop it up. So his dad still has $2 million. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't have a comeuppance for this. And, and the fact that, like, kind of Frank and Pete just, like, walk out, like, kind of just into the shadows. They walk out of shot, basically, and it's like, okay, they yeah. take, like, a measly, like, amount of money as well. And then, like, Mike's like, we got all this money for me and you, boy. Like, it's all about the con. It's all about the con. We've played the best con. Isn't this the best con you've ever seen in person? That is basically it. Like, uh, everyone else gets their cut. They're like, yeah, we'll do this again. And for all intents and purposes, they will because they're alive. They've got their cut. Everyone's living happily ever after. Um, and then, again, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've got this in the bank. Obviously, we get the final voiceover, which is, I, I don't know why we're meant yep. to feel that Joe has won. Most people never feel the strings and gently tug them day in and day out. Mine had been jerked every which way before I cut him loose and left a tangled mess going round in circles with my pop and all that cash I wanted no part of. It was a colorful world I was walking away from, but nothing in it was real. Not my pop, not the bastards who'd helped dupe me, not Diane who almost broke my heart. All I took from them were memories, images really. They're worth more than any take from any con. They keep me honest. So yeah, that is that is scene set film rap done. Go to print. Like it's that 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 is it. And like how quickly we rattled through the last forty minutes of that film shows how kind of lackluster <laughs> they are. And it's it's an infuriating ending as well because you know he he laments it. it's like the world isn't real everything is and maybe the carousel is meant to be indicative of oh this world keeps going in circles I don't know fuck off at this point but he's like taking memories keeps um keeps us honest they're worth more than money like they're not worth more than two million dollars are they yeah in yeah. the words of Eddie bullshit bullshit um, unacceptable Joe you're a loser at the start you're a loser at the end. Um, I go away, go away and get some charisma. Why don't you do a con where you can earn some fucking charisma? You fucking grade a stone cold loser. Before we get into like the regular questions I ask on this podcast, Daryl, um, is there any final thoughts you have on Deadfall? I mean, there 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 are so many thoughts and also not enough thoughts on this film. Not enough people have seen that film, and for good reason. It's a one-star and five-star film, and I will not address that at any point in my <laughs> life. It's a, it, it's, it's a real film for the cage completionists, um, yeah. but you can also get the most out of this. That All you need is just by Googling, YouTubing, 
Nick Cage Deadfall, you will get all the clips that you need. Um, and as you sort of open the episode with that uh, that blistering new metal thrashing uh, song by Snot, um, if you want a good summation of the song, give three minutes of your time, listen to that track, because the lyrics sum this film up really, really well. And also, uh, that song and that album from Snot from 1997, fucking banger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I, much to my, like, uh, dismay, like, didn't know about Snot. Like, and then looked at the, one of the later albums, and I think, like, every track has, like, a feature from, like, a, a, a prominent, like, new metal band. So, like, Serge Tankian's on one track. They got um, uh, Jonathan, whatever his name is, from Korn. They've got Fred Durst on a track. And then, yeah, like, uh, yeah, let's play another clip from that snot track, uh, which it, it, in yes. true 1996 fashion, as you heard right at the beginning of this episode, it's kind of like a hard new metal esque, like thrashy sounding song. Goes to this break in the middle of the song. <laughs> so good it's so good and i wish i wish i'd found this years ago um in, in all honesty um that's, yeah it's like it's, it's like new metal thrash and then it goes to that very sort of like primus-esque break um and then it's it's sort of back to that and again it's between if you listen to the song deadfall by snot and then just youtube uh deadfall nicholas cage clips you will get all the enjoyment from this film that you need. You'll have a summation of the film in the lyrics. They touch on Sam fucking Peckinpah. We still don't know who he is. I think my ultimate summation is if you want a better Nick Cage film about cons, watch Con Air. Definitely. Well, I think one of the things we should definitely touch on is the fact that this film, uh, it's not the end of Eddie. Like, the character of Eddie King returns in... Uh, <laughs> The 2017 film, Deadfall. I'm not sure if you've covered that. No, not Deadfall. What am I talking about? Arsenal or Southern Fury, depending on which uh, territory you live in. Uh, have you covered Have you covered that film on your podcast yet, Dara? Uh Well, that will actually be the next episode that I release whenever our episodes come out on this. Um, so it's a film that's fairly fresh in the memory. And it's the whole inclusion of Eddie in that is so confusing because they've confirmed it is the same Eddie from Deadfall, even though Eddie dies in Deadfall. Um, and then Nicolas Cage, I don't know if he does in this film, but he's got a prosthetic nose in Arsenal, Southern Fury. And it isn't, isn't the same Eddie. It's like, the only way I can describe it is that this akin to Marvel at the moment, this is the multi-Cage-verse that we've got going on now, where there's where there's variants of these different characters that will just pop up in similar films. So hopefully, ten years from now, Eddie's going to pop up again, and then we've got the Eddie trilogy. Um, it's <laughs> into you know, the Eddieverse, right? <laughs> in into the Eddieverse. Um, but the Eddie in that 
is more violent, yeah, but also not as unhinged as he is in Deadfall. Yeah, 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 yeah. The mo- so the- it's <laughs> weird. It's, Eddie, it's odd. Eddie King in the multiverse of sadness. Did you know? Fucking hell! Yeah, Bucket. it's book it. It's it's a bizarre. It's it's a bizarre world we're living in. In the fact that. It feels like with that film, Nicolas Cage was like, I'll only do this film if I can get to play a character from a film that nobody particularly, like, is fond about. Do you know what I mean? It's not like he's, oh, I'll only do it if I could play Cameron Poe. Do you know what I mean? For some bizarre reason. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'll, and I, I'll do it as this guy who died. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no explanation as to how or why he comes back. Like, it clearly isn't set before even though it's like a weird prequel sequel reboot of the character even though eddie's got no connection to the donans in this one and he's kind of like a small time gang leader um and and also that uh, christopher coppola is in arsenal as well as 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 a man cosplaying steven seagal yeah doesn't he doesn't he kill eddie as well in that or like or or he Uh, or eddie kills him yeah, so I think, I think they play brothers in that, and then Christopher Coppola's character comes down because he's like, oh, Eddie, you've started fucking up, you're making noise, this isn't what we do, and then Eddie slow-mo bludgeons him to death with a telephone. Yes, that's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's kind of full circle, right? It's kind of like, he's like, it feels like he's just trying, like, in a way, trying to say to his brother, hey, I'll get more eyes on Deadfall by playing this character again and getting you in this film, and we'll kind of like uh, beat the algorithm, get the SEO. So if you type in <laughs> Eddie Nicholas Cage, Christopher Coppola, Deadfall might come up instead of Arsenal. I think yeah, I think Southern Fury is just uh, in its own way a long con to get more eyes on Deadfall. Um, which is again weird that Christopher Coppola won't talk about it when he's acting alongside his own fucking character that he made to some mm. extent. Yeah. I tell you, man, the multiverse of sadness, fucking wild. <laughs> well, let's wrap up this episode and I'll ask you three questions to kind of judge Nicolas Cage in this film. The first one being Does Cage have bad hair? Technically, yes, but it's a wig, so no. uh the the, all all three of these questions feel quite redundant from listening to this conversation because i i imagine (laughs) i imagine the the listeners would have heard us talking about or heard clips that will prove the contrary especially for the next two um does cage do a crazy voice in this film he's obviously synonymous with doing voices and i think this is one of the ones he's known for boy does he again and again with every intonation you could possibly want if you want crazy cage voices this is the film that you come for you will not i mean the rest of the film will but the voices will not disappoint you (laughs) and uh last one really really redundant does nicholas cage freak out daryl it's three for three. That's three yeses from the judges. You're going through to the next round. Um, yes, yes, and yes again. You made it. Welcome to the big lead, sunshine. Well, welcome to judges' houses. 
You are. You, you, you've made it. You'll be on. You'll, you'll be Christmas number one, Eddie. Don't you worry about it. Uh, so, based on this film alone, Daryl is Nicolas Cage the greatest actor of all time. My opinion has not changed from day one. Yes, yes, he is. There is nothing in his past, present, or future that will ever deter me from that answer. Greatest of all time. I I, I love that. Yeah, your podcast. You went in with the. Um, I don't know, uh, thing that Nicolas Cage was the greatest actor of all time, whereas I think this is where our podcast differ. I went in as a skeptic and have soon become, uh, uh, I don't know, it took, I think it took me a, a while to like really, really be enamored to him where I'm like defending <laughs> films like Stolen, being like, Stolen's great. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know why you say it's a bad film. I think it's pretty great. If he doesn't get you by Deadfall, then he just, he never will. And that's the, uh... That's the long and short of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you, um, if you can, do, if you can't, you know, what's, what's, what's the sort of summation? If you can't handle him at his Deadfall, you don't deserve him at his Wicker Man. Yeah, or, yeah, 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 you don't deserve Pig if you, if you can't, if you can't stomach some Deadfall, right? You don't, you don't deserve... You can't them. just have the highs. Them you heady highs. The highs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't have the leaving Las Vegas without a Deadfall. You can't have the Oscar win and the uh, the the absolute turgid. You can't you can't you can't have a face off without a vampire's kiss, which is true. Nicholas Cage said that, uh, that 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 heavily inspired him. So yeah, you're right on that. Um, you've answered this question. Who would you recommend this for? Well, would you recommend it? Like, would you recommend it to the the ev- everyday film fan, or is it just as you said for the the Cage completionists? I mean, I'll be honest with you, if, if, if I haven't expressed it enough at this point, it's a difficult sell, this film, because if you sat down with a room of people, at a certain point you'll have some explaining to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is, again, to make the sort of comparison, this is one of those weird films that you find at a certain point in your life, it's like, with again, with The Room, you... Um, you seem to find this at a certain point in your life. Uni students seem to find this. This this crops up as a, as a uni thing. Um, I mean, you can't just be a casual cinema goer and then go to Deadfall. You've got to earn Deadfall. You can't <laughs> just have Deadfall. You've got to earn it. You've got to earn your stripes. I mean, you, we've we've got the uh, the corporal sergeant military. Uh, we're dressed down in honors and decorations on our shoulders, on lapels on our chest. Um, you know, we've we've done the graft, we've done the work to get to this point. You'll yeah. get there, dear listener. You'll get there. Um, but you just can't go into this blind. Um, otherwise, this is gonna this is gonna saturate your your ideas of the man. Um, if yeah. this is the only cage film that you see, so um, do your background research. Be aware of what you're getting into, um, and just just let this film happen. Is the best advice I can give. Definitely. Just like get a group of friends who have possibly seen it before, get some beers, get some pizzas, and kind of have a laugh of this one. Mate, like, and, and as we said, you can probably turn it off after Cage has exited the film and like you'll have an absolute hoot of a time. Do you know what I mean? You'll have like, what, 45, 50 minutes of fun or like an hour of fun basically before, before, before. before yeah, and it's just kind of like if you if if you if you're the right level of pissed, it's 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 an enjoyable watch. It's kind of a it's, <laughs> it's an anomaly, and I, I I don't know. I I yeah, I would say 
Go out, check check it out. It's it's just you know, it's it's just to just to be a part of that the the conversation of this weird and wonderful film. But uh, <laughs> yeah, spawned such a <laughs> great great kind of memeage. This kind of feels like the the second kind of memeable film of Cage's career after Vampire's Kiss. Uh, yeah, but um. So Daryl, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having a chat with you. A nice, a nice old long chat about Nicolas Cage, his past, his present, and Deadfall. So, um, yeah, if people want to check out Cage Rage, where can where where can they find it? Where can they find you and your musings on films or whatever? Plug away, buddy. Thank you so much for opening opening the door for me, um, listeners. If you want to fuck, let's fuck. Um, you can find me on Twitter at cage underscore podcast. That's usually the best place to get me on there. Uh, on Instagram at cage rage pod. Um, I've got a letterboxed as well, which I should use more. Um, I've got all the, the link tree. It's on the, uh, the socials. But you can find me in all the usual streaming services, your apples, your pod chasers, your stitches, uh, Spotify's, iHeart radios, Amazon's, and all the ones where you usually get your, uh, you're listening. I think I'm on good pods, good pod reads as well. But I, like many people, have no idea what that fucking website is and how <laughs> it works. So I won't hate you if you don't listen to me there. Um, but come along. Um, Nicholas Cage is, in my opinion, um, the greatest actor of our generation. He is the man I call the golden hog of Hollywood. Um, and I, my podcast, Cage Rage, I'm on the journey to true Cage Nirvana, uh, the highest, most purest, sensual, sexual, emotional form of being possible. Achievable only, as Petros will tell you, by watching every film the Golden Hog of Hollywood has been in. Uh, we should round about to the time this episode out. I'll have my my episode on uh, Arsenal slash Southern Fury coming out if you want to hear the uh, Eddie King conversation continued. Um, and that's a good one to come listen to that. If you want, do what you want. I won't tell you what to do, but let's go all night long, sugar, viva la fucking France. Man, fucking hangers. perfect daryl again uh, thank you so much for coming and raging with cage with me (laughs) that track is a fucking Banger. If uh, you haven't heard that song by Snot, we talk about it on the episode. Check it out. It is the perfect accompaniment to the bonkers batshit movie that is Deadfall. Uh, massive thank you for slogging all the way through that one. It was a lot of fun. Hopefully uh, you enjoyed it. And a massive thank you again to Daryl Edge, my kind of uh, the yin to my yang, the, 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 the northern version of myself, the man who is trying to reach true cage nirvana by watching every single film and um i i'm not going to tell him that it's a disappointing road because i think i think we're yet to we're yet to get to that true cage nirvana it's a, it's a lot of fun to talk to somebody who who's uh suffered and kind of been on the same journey as me so yeah i always love chatting to daryl uh it could be easy to be rivals but it's a lot more fun to be friends so Coming up next week on the podcast, um, I'm not sure if a lot of you remember. I'm sure you do. Your 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 memories aren't that bad, but you might be a new listener. You might have jumped in from 
cage rage or you might have jumped in from elsewhere uh just to check this out it might be a big dead forehead so um last year i did a mini series called the caged in Pigcast, where i looked at the film pig and spoke to a handful a, a good handful more than a handful of people who are involved in that film so that included vanessa block the film's uh, co-writer and producer um chris zarnecki the uh chef who was one of the consultants on the film philip klein and alexis grapsas about the music david nell one of the stars um of the film uh who plays chef finway uh i think that's i think that's about everyone but next week we're bringing the caged in pig cast back to talk to the film's director and writer michael zarnowski and it was a, a fantastic conversation i've literally just jumped off of the zoom call with michael and it was fantastic uh yeah got to got to hear some things i didn't know about the making of pigs uh his experiences working with nicholas cage alec alex wolf but just being a first-time director and kind of making this really personal and beautiful film so yeah i hope you join me next week to listen to that and celebrate all things nicholas cage as we Keep on chugging along in Cageuary. If you enjoyed this episode or any other episode of the podcast, uh, who knows? Uh, Let let yeah, let your friends know. Let people you know that this exists because, as I always say, this could be somebody's favorite podcast. We could be talking about somebody's favorite film. So um, always, always let people know. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so on ko-fi.com forward slash caging pod when you can buy me a digital cup of coffee or if you want a bit of more of a long-term commitment you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod where for as little as three dollars or two pound fifty a month you get access to the all new exclusive exclusive uh podcast series called movie brat bros where I am looking at the films of Francis Ford Coppola's cohort. So the movie Bratz, looking at their films and how they compare to Francis Ford Coppola. And the first series, we are looking at Brian De Palma. So uh, this week, uh, or no, next week, you'll be able to hear the first episode of that podcast, which I recorded with Daryl and Jeanette Bear, all about Phantom of the Paradise. Uh, Brian De Palma's 1974 rock opera musical drama comedy that's really a lot of fun so yeah head on over to patreon to get access to that or if you don't want to part with any money you could head on over to apple podcast acar spotify and leave a spanking five star review that always helps us climb up the charts and get into more people's feeds and in front of more people so that would be great so as always guys i've been petros pat syllabus i've been caged in and i'll catch you next time planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more 
And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged in Coppola Connections, A Droop Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family. <laughs>